To honor the past as it was, to forgive those who need to be forgiven, to forgive yourself, and to acknowledge that everything led you to this point now. Everything. Let it go and begin to focus on developing myself. And I say to you, you're going to have people to do things to you. Things are going to happen to you. And the most important thing to do is to harness your will and let it go and move so you can grow, so you can get on with your life. It doesn't matter about what happens to you. What matters is what are you going to do about it? Hey, everybody. Brandon from the Get Real Podcast. Sam is a little MIA right now. He chose to take a trip to Las Vegas. Uh, me and Sam haven't been together in quite some time just due to that baby once again. Uh, also just been busy with other things and work and Caden and everything else. So we had, I do apologize. We did an announcement on Facebook probably it's been two weeks ago now. Yeah, something like that. Me and Garrett did a recording and said he was going to be on that weekend and it'd be posted and Unfortunately, between me and Garrett and Sam, just things got busy, and once again, we didn't get a recording in. So, typically we do every Sunday night, or try to, that's been our goal, but I don't know if we've ever done every Sunday night, but um, tonight me and Garrett got together on a Wednesday night just to get this done, because we haven't been able to find that time, and we both kind of had that motivation to get together and do that, so... Um, Excited to have Garrett on the show. Garrett, like I said, works with me at Caliber Collision. Um, Garrett's in what's called our TAPS program. Garrett's impressed me from starting there, and at first I didn't know Garrett well. As I've gotten to know Garrett and know, watch him do what he does and the passion he has to learn, uh, just a little background on what our TAPS program is, is Caliber knows the industry is going to be hurting for techs and is hurting for techs, uh, just like service, um, really any of the traits. And... What they've done as a corporation is they've chose to put in stores, not all stores, but most of some of our stores, a program called TAPS, which is intended to have a body technician that is mad, like senior mastered. He's very, you know, been in the business a long time. He's good at what he does. He trains apprentices. It's just kind of like a union apprentice, but we do it in-house. They, uh, they get certified to weld. They get certified to, I mean, to be a full master body technician. And, Garrett's been in our program, I believe, now seven months? Uh, I think when? it's more than that. It'll be when? a year in early December. Okay. And he's actually, congratulations, Garrett. He's getting close to being almost done. I mean, we're, yeah. we're getting there. Uh, he's got some time left. And like I said, I've been impressed with Garrett's mentality to learn, but is also just the positivity he maintains at work. But um, we chose to get together after talking a little bit uh he's been helping me doing some details he's been at the house just hanging out some nights and we got on the subject of trauma and we got on the subject of kind of my situation and um as we started talking i realized that gary was a good candidate to be on our show and to definitely put his story out there to maybe help somebody and to show what he's been through but not only that maybe how they can get through it and how he got through it so excited to have you gary um I don't know if you have any questions, anything like that, but but we're not gonna. What we're gonna do is I'm gonna kind of guide you through this, and we're gonna get into your story a little bit. And uh, for you guys out there, we'll try not to get into all story. Definitely, we want to get to the point of what we're getting at and how what Garrett chose to do or how he got through those things. But obviously, we've got to go through that story a bit to get down to the underlying of why he had to go through that and what he was going through. So, um, Garrett, where'd you grow up at? 
So I originally am from the Chicago area. I'm from the suburbs of Chicago. Um, if any of you guys are familiar with McHenry, um, it's right next to Crystal Lake. I know a lot of people know Crystal Lake better. Um, when I was like in the middle of second grade, I ended up moving out to Tipton, Iowa. Um, I went from big giant suburb to a teeny tiny town of 3,000 people. Teeny tiny uh, town of 3,000. I mean, it's... Based on tiny suburb, it's funny because as I moved here, I used to call this place the city. And I tell everybody, I want to go back to my town and get out of the city. And people used to, people from your area originally, like you grew up, used to make fun of me. Like, the, that's not a city. Yes, it is. In high school, <laughs> I lived in a town that had zero stoplights, one bar, a co-op, and I think it was like 100 people. So people used to, when I moved here, it was like the big city. So, yeah, it's funny you say. So funny enough, Tipton actually has the only stoplight in our entire county. Really? Yep. They're the county seat. They have. What county is it? Cedar. Cedar. What? Yeah, the That's crazy. only stoplight in the entire county. That's crazy. That's. Uh, I think the town that I grew up in, or well, that I mainly grew up in, went to high school and school all the way through, and we had, I don't know, three or four, um, nothing big, but definitely bigger, a little bit bigger than Tipton. But um, we've got, I've got some buddies that I think is Tipton. Tipton's one that's more west. It's Tiffin that's east, right? No, no. Tiffin is west. T Tipton is southwest, Tipton is east. Okay, okay. So Tipton, I think I used to go camping there as a kid. Isn't there a campground right on the river there? Yes. Okay, yep. yeah. My uncles used to take me catfishing on that river and we camped there. Um, good childhood memory. But other than that, I don't think I've ever been to Tipton. Been to Tiffin a couple times. You're not missing much. Well, it's probably full of hillbillies like where I grew up. and Definitely, uh, I love my small town, but I definitely love where I'm at. I always thought I'd go back and... I won't probably go back. Okay, I like it where I'm at. And <clears throat> I always told myself the minute I moved to the city, to the city, once I got done with college or whatnot, I'd move back and drive back and forth, and I never did that. So actually, I did for a little while, and uh, we obviously know I have a trait of falling asleep while I drive. You still a little dozy on the way home. So I moved here and didn't want to make that 50 minute drive anymore. I don't know how our boss, like our boss, John Weber from Manchester, he makes a 55 minute drive where I'm from every day and I'm... I did a 50 minute drive for six months. Oh yeah, when I, you were in West was, Branch, right? No, I was uh, in Davenport. Okay, yeah, yep. from West Branch to Davenport. Tipton to Tipton, Davenport. Okay. Yep, Tipton to you Davenport. You used to work in I used, Branch, so, so as far as my career goes, I started out in restoration in West Branch. Okay. Um, I was restoring cars, I did that for a year and a half, two years. Some more like that. classic Yeah, I was doing I was doing sixties and late sixties, early seventies Mopars. So mostly. rust, rust and more rust. A lot, a lot of rust. rust. <laughs> a lot of rust. Um, and so I just I fell in love with cars, um, and started doing that. My grandfather, uh, he did restorations. Um, and actually the la very last car he did was a 56 Chevy Bel Air um, in Sierra Gold and Adobe Beige and it has won the Grand National Cruiser Car Show three times. Really? Yep. That's awesome. I definitely, <clears throat> um, so it sounds like you come from a background of not only cars and automotive but restoration in, yeah. in itself. Yep. That's cool. I mean, I, when I <clears throat> got into it, I had no background, I had no family that was in it. My, great, my grandpa was a mechanic for the county in Dubuque County. Actually, I think he worked for the state, okay. went up in Dubuque County for, he retired from there for 30 some years, 40 years, I don't know, after he got out of the military, but I never learned anything from him or watched him work on things. So there was no background in me. I got into high school automotive 
And I just did it more or less at the time because it was a fuck around class. I didn't have to sit and do math or English or whatever. Yeah. And my buddies were doing it. And at that point, I kind of started hanging out with a lot of hillbillies and rednecks. And that's just what you did. You work on cars. Worked on cars. And um, so I got into that program. And that's where it kind of came forth for me. Um, did you just go straight from high school into the industry or did you do any schooling before you? No. So I started out in high school. I thought I wanted to be a graphic designer. And so I went through all kinds of college classes and everything like that. And actually where my story begins is fresh out of high school going into uh, being at Iowa State in their graphic design program. Oh, I didn't know Uh, that. Okay. Yeah. So um, I tried Iowa State with graphic design program. My story happened. That didn't work out. Um, And then I decided, okay, I'm going to try Kirkwood in their design program. And I hated it. Do you think you tie the... The graphic design desire in you obviously the program wasn't for you but I definitely talking to you before we started this tonight I didn't know you were into that graphic design stuff mm-hmm. until tonight do you think that you relate your graphic design to what you do now for a living like it's almost kind of a I related it a lot to the restoration because it was an art I yeah. mean the stuff we do now you know you fix an area on the car and there's you know, not as much of it. There's not as much. Story. When you're doing mm-hmm. restorations, you're doing the entire car. Yep. Every single square. And you're taking something that's rotted and complete, you're handcrafting it back to... Exactly. There's a lot more of an artistic side to it. Now it's and, parts replacement, which you're doing. Yeah. A lot of, I guess. A lot of it. I mean, it's you not weld, all of it. And I've watched you weld some quarter panels, and I think you did that quarter panel on that, quarter panel on that Equinox that I just had not yep. too long ago. And mm-hmm. I was impressed for being a guy that's in a program like he is, and... Um, for me, going from service to this body side of life has been just mesmerizing. I, I never could have imagined what these guys could do with their hands, what they could do with tools, how they, you know, there's things that they say, oh, no, we could repair that. And I look at them like, it looks like a goddamn crushed pop can. Like, how, and what do you mean you can repair that? How the hell are you going to take a quarter panel that looks like a crushed pop can and make it look new? And they do. It's it's incredible. Now, I've had to, I've even struggled to get to that point where I'm just like instantly, I'm like, oh, replacement, and I write my estimate for a replacement of a quarter panel or a replacement of a fender, and they look at me on the back end when it gets to the shop and say, why do you have replacement on here? Like they look like I'm stupid or something, but to me, going into this, I just, I sometimes I'm like, there's no way a guy with his hands, because I'm not artistic or like that, I was more mechanical, um, I just, I I just don't ever see it possible how you guys could do that. And then I'll go out there in mid-repair, and I watched you on that Equinox. Mm-hmm. Like I said, guys, I've been impressed with Garrett. Like, I really have been. If for him being in it for as long as he has and to be still developing and learning, and especially welding. I mean, that's... Welding's brand new to me. Welding is... I used to weld a little bit in high school. Now, I'm talking, like, two plates of steel weld together. Never was I, like, good enough at welding that I would could fix things like all my buddies fix farm equipment and yeah. they do all that and I actually my one couple of my buddies took first and second like three years in a row at the Kirkwood State Welding Competition like Manchester That's has crazy. a phenomenal welding program uh Seth Harms from there he uh it's through NICC so he instructs at night he actually teaches the NICC welding course there and okay. I don't know if you know what NICC is North, I don't know what that North, is. Uh, Northeast Iowa Community College in Piasta by Dubuque. Okay. Manchester has their welding program 
is sponsored by them, but also he teaches NICC classes out of my high school. So people don't have to go all the way to Piazza for it. So um, our program was just phenomenal and they were self-funded. They had a CNC table, they cut out signs, they sold their work to businesses in town and everything and self-funded their program. That's cool. And the CNC was, it was just incredible that at the time, you know, I'm, you're talking 2008, 2009, for a high school to have the computer, the yeah. table, and the CNC, they could cut out anything. It was so cool. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, so funny enough, my first ever experience welding, um, I pulled out this welder probably from the 90s. Um, when I was at the restoration so shop, a sticker like a ninety. It was a first MIG. MIG of the. It was an early MIG, and uh, I don't know the history of welders, so I don't know exactly when MIGs came out. But it was an old yeah, ass welder. Sure either. Um, but I needed a longer screwdriver, so I cut the head off of one screwdriver and welded another one on, and it was crooked, but it worked. And that was the first time I ever welded. I never, I never did anything else. Uh, Garrett himself's a little crooked, and that's why he thought it was alright and acceptable. Yeah, it's fine. So. Uh, Anyways, I, I was watching Gary weld this thing, and I, I would come out, and obviously I'm, I'm busy, dealing a customer to shop, to, uh, you know, sometimes have, we have 20, 30 cars in process as an estimator, and I come out an hour later, or two hours later, a half a day later, and see his progress, and just the patience he had as he did this, because it takes patience. I mean, I'm not a guy that could stand there and put 14 hours in welding this quarter, and cutting it because they section you'll get the whole side of a car uniside um, is what they call it but um, and if your estimator is really good you'll order the wrong side and have to send half of a car back <laughs> oops uh, Gary went to put the quarter panel on this car for me uh, he comes to me and says hey uh, and I'm not kidding it's if you look at a car from the side view it's the whole car it's literally the entire side of the car and I ordered the wrong side of the car yep. so um, we paid a little bit of a restocking fee there and whatnot, but uh, I'd come out and watch him just, we, instead of replacing, if just a part of it needs to replace, we, they do what's called sectioning. And they'll cut the whole new piece into a small piece and then they'll cut that same exact matching piece out of the car and weld in the, the smaller piece so we don't have to replace the whole side. But I'd come out and watch him as he's, art, he's doing this and I'm like, and I've watched a few of these as I've gone through the business, but this one I particular stayed really, I, I really paid attention to because now that I ordered the wrong side and then it took another week and a half for the right side and da 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 da, we were at a point where I was trying to get this car back to this customer because I had had it so long. And um, so I was really, I was out there probably bugging him too much. Like, hey, when's it going to paint? When are you gonna be done? Trying to get a pro, you know, something together for the customer and to be able to give them a good answer on when they're getting the car back. And, so I'd come out multiple times a day, and like I said, I, most of these I come out, I do the estimate, mat, I blueprint it when I order all the parts, and then I come out when they're done with it to take in-process photos mm -hmm. when they're done. But this one, I, like I said, I multiple times came out in the process, and it was just so cool to see it come together, but also to see Garrett's patience as he had to do this. Like, me, when I started being a mechanic, I'm, you can ask my automotive teacher, love you, Geyer, uh, I'd throw a freaking wrench in every other every other word out of my mouth, trying to put a brake caliper on this cunt, cunt, bastard, what fuck? Like I just I didn't have the patience. I was young, starting out, and I grew patience as I went to school and got better and whatnot, and you learn the little tricks of the trade. But 
to have that patience is so much different than trying to get a bolt and a power steering pump that's damn near impossible and you got your arm cocked seven different ways and you're upside down and whatever. This is a patience of just sculpture, really, if you think about that's, it. That's exactly what it is. It's an art. It really is. And so uh, it just it, it's impressive to see these guys, especially, like I said, Garrett, for being in it as long as you have, and new to welding, to be able to weld a quarter panel on. And I'm talking people, they weld this quarter panel in, they sand it down, grind it down, they make it so perfect with the body line that when it's painted, you can never see where it was sectioned in and where it was welded in, and that's very, that's very impressive to me. Um, so anyways, we're gonna get a little, get moving with the story a little bit more here, Garrett. Uh, I don't mean to cut it short on your career, and obviously Garrett's gonna have a very, very successful career in what he does. And if Gary keeps his head where he keeps it and where I see him do that daily, uh, I'm excited to continue to work with Gary and watch his growth. And not only that, but as the future, even maybe after we work together, where he's going to go with his career. Um, so anyways, a little bit more. I want to touch base on your childhood. I know you kind of told me you grew up in Tipton. Um, I know there's a little bit of trauma that you endured during that childhood time. And I know there's something that came later too, and we'll get to that, but kind of want to touch base on, and you do not have to go into full detail here. You go into what you're comfortable with, but what do you think is a child, the number one traumatic, not even just event, but as a whole was to you? What What do you still to this day, when someone says trauma in your childhood, what comes to your mind? Well, first off, I'm an open book. I'm totally an open book. All of the trauma and everything that I've dealt with, I'm totally open to sharing with anyone, which is kind of why I'm doing the podcast, because I'm not afraid of my past. I'm not afraid to say, yes, I went through this. Um, That's big. That's A lot of people have patted me on the back for being able to get on camera, talk about my addiction and say I was mm -hmm. an addict. And I, this, this, and I screwed up and did this, especially from being at the success, success I was to, I did rock bottom, I did drugs. Like, who wants to admit that openly? That's big for you to say, and for you to have that mindset of you're open to doing so because you're okay with that being who made you and where you built yourself as a human being, but also because you know it could help people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I always tell everyone, you know, my addiction, I could look at that as a negative thing, right? Sorry, guys, I'm going to... As Garrett's phone just lit up, I reminded myself I want to turn mine on silent because I know it did ring earlier and it wasn't loud and it will interrupt us. So anyways, um, it's it's inspiring to, I've just done it. I just openly did it because I was hoping it could help someone. And I, it's inspiring to see somebody else do that. And as what I was going to is I can choose every day for me to be like, oh, I fucked up. I did drugs. I turned into an addict. And what if I'm an idiot and da 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 it's still affecting my life, it's still affecting my child my relationship with my child even though it shouldn't be. Like it's but I choose every day to look at my addiction as a good thing because I have now turned my addiction into a good thing by using my addiction, my growth, and my story to help other people not be addicts. And now my outlook on my addiction is a positive thing because I'd go through it again if I could help one person yeah. who never would have stopped becoming an addict or maybe would have been an addict for six more months or a year. And my story helped one person. Could be 50 years of telling this story. One person, it's worth it for me. I'd go through that one more time to do that. 
but also I know it could save somebody's life. It could save somebody's Absolutely. marriage. It could it could stop the addiction from happening for enough time that it completely took everything from them. It maybe only took a few or whatever, maybe nothing. But anyways, back on to his story, I will get back to him, and it, it, it's inspiring. And I want you guys to appreciate that Garrett's sitting here today, and he's open and willing to have that conversation with us and to tell you his story. So um, let's go. We can continue on. Yeah. Um, so talking about trauma of my childhood, um, I grew up with a bipolar father. Um, I myself am bipolar, that will, I'll talk about more later, um, but I grew up with a bipolar father who grew up with abuse. Um, his mom was extremely abusive, and you know, I've heard... Ver like verbally or no, physically? physically. And, and I mean, it was both. Also both. It was both, but... Usually if one comes, there's the other comes yeah, with it. Yeah, um, so his mom was extremely physically um, abusive, the mental side came with it as well. Which really fucked up my dad, and as, there's no other way to put it, it fucked him up. Um, so, I have an older brother, he's my half-brother, um, and he's eight years older than me. Um, but, my dad spanked my brother once, and he cried. He cried. My dad beat me as a kid, and that was terrible. So, didn't beat your brother necessarily, or Not just that he maybe got a spanking, but was it something your dad held against you? Was it, were you the oldest child? No, I'm the youngest. You're the youngest. Yeah. Which is actually, I feel like, I don't know, I didn't grow up in a physical abuse, I don't know a lot about it, but I feel like that's almost backwards. I feel like the oldest is the one that's in the, no. in the baby of the family. I think that's I mean, why they refer to that as things are always easier for the youngest than they were the oldest. Less rules, less whatever but so he beat you I mean is this like on a weekly basis was this no so my dad the, the best way to describe my dad's bipolar and similar to mine is it was a roller coaster he would yeah, have I think all bipolar really is yeah he would have these highs where you know everything would be great and we'd think okay things are getting better and everything would be looking up and then it would crash and it would crash hard and fast and was he on medication treat he was treat? on he was on all kinds of different medications seeing all kinds of different doctors so when he like when it would be on a high maybe it was the medication working and then when it's, and this is just kind of what i've seen in the past from other mental disorders mm -hmm. when it would start working he thinks he feels better when he quit taking the medicine and that's when he would crash or no, would it just stop it, working it just it was this cycle that it didn't matter what medication he got on it, it always reverted. It always reverted. It was stronger. Yeah. So, um, it started out, the, the earliest that I can remember, I was, fuck, two or three years old. And it's crazy because it's the only memory I have of being that young. Two, two or three years old and you remember. I remember a physical it. physical encounter. Yeah. So, my dad bent me over his knee and smacked my ass as hard as he could, pulled my pants down and hit me as hard as he could. And I remember my mom picking me up and screaming at my dad because he did that to me and I had a, literally a hand, a man-sized hand welt on my ass because he hit me so hard. And, and sorry, that I, I'm obviously you guys can see I kind of just maybe went into my own little world there. And it, it just amazes me that Garrett at two to, two to three years old that situation was so traumatic and so impactful that you 
Probably that's the first memory you ever, that you have. It probably is. That you actually remember as a child. Like, obviously there's other things that your childhood, but that's as far back the first memory that truly you can say is a memory. I could, yep. like my first memory as a kid was uh, growing up in this stable, and I, me and my mom were just talking about this the other day, I was sitting in the high chair. Actually, I don't, at this point when I'm in the high chair, sitting in a chair, and I would have probably been four or five, maybe four, eating bananas. My nephew, I used to have this obsession where I'd eat bananas every meal, and my nephew now, Arthur, eats bananas all the time. So we were talking about that, and I was like, Mom, yeah, I can remember sitting at the table at the stable, which is the house at the stable where my mom ran the horse stable. And so I remember sitting there and putting them in my mouth and sucking on bananas and eating them all the time. And she's like, how do you remember at four years old that house? It burned down when I was like four and a half to the ground. But I can remember sitting in the house and she goes, how do you remember that being four and a half? And I'm like, now to hear you say at half that age, you have a memory in the trauma. And many people try to tell me it's okay the Caden's going through life right now without his dad and is going through that roller coaster of wanting to see him, wanting to stay, getting the two hours, all the things that are happening right now. And we won't go into everyone kind of knows that story. And everyone's like, well, just be fortunate that it's happening now when he can't remember. And I always tell everyone, he can though. He will. Yeah. If it's traumatic enough, he'll remember. Yeah. And maybe he may not remember exact details, but there's going to be a memory of something happening. And... A lot of people disagree that no person can't remember things until a certain age. Bullshit. <laughs> and I think, like I said, now this is traumatic to Caden, and I always tell people, but he's developing off of this. Mm-hmm. And so were you. You were developing off that. You didn't know how to emotionally handle that. You, as, a, as a kid that young, you don't know if that's normal or unnormal. Like, to you, that no. could be normal. Yeah. That could just be, because you don't know like, any different. That could be like, oh, in life, this is what people do. And you start to develop off that feeling and that experience of now you become physically, you could become. That's that's become my biggest fear is that I am going to turn into what my father was. And But at this point, if you haven't, I don't think that's a fear. I think that should be a fear of yours. I don't. And you only know you truly inside. Mm-hmm. And obviously you know that you have the bipolar like he did, and that's probably the biggest connection that you make of having that fear. Yeah. So I have bipolar like he did. But I can tell you right now, talking to you, and we haven't even gotten into this fully, you kind of had mentioned that there was maybe some abuse, and mm-hmm. I knew this going in. That's the only thing I know about Garrett's story. We tried to talk about his story a couple weeks ago, and I told him to stop. I wanted to hear it on camera. The stop me so yeah. harshly. I, 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 did. I, like, I didn't want, stop. <laughs> I didn't want to hear it. I wanted it to be on camera for the first time when I heard it. Yeah. But um, I, I, I truly believe as things are happening at that age, whether you believe it or not, you're building who you are. You're building your mentality. And you, I think, the trauma hasn't made you angry. It has. There's anger there, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure there's anger there, and it has done that. But as a whole, I don't know if it has. I think it's more giving you insight on who to not be. Yeah, and it has. And how to be a better person. It's that you've used that, that trauma to build into a person that's not that person, and a person you actually want to be. You don't want to be that person. No. And you don't want to have kids and that be a thing with your children. And I, and I would say as long as that mindset is maintained, you shouldn't fear it of the being him because it's so wrong to you and was so wrong and still is 
that you would have to truly be wanting to commit wrong. And, and I wouldn't have you sitting here next to me if I thought you were a person that, based off of your trauma, you weren't going to do wrong because of it. Like people, oh, I, I did this or I'm doing this or I'm a long time full life alcoholic for 20 some years because when I was a kid, well, that's your decision to 25 years later still be an alcoholic because of your childhood. Yeah. You address that shit and you move on. Yep. And if you're still an alcoholic, that's your choice. It's like me, I with the trauma I was going through, I could still be an addict because I'm still yeah. going through it. But no, I chose, I'm gonna get better even as the trauma's continuing. And it's still not just a memory, it's still happening every day. Yeah. I choose to not be an addict. And that's, I addressed my trauma. I owned it, I did the things I needed to. But I think you've done that. I think you've verbally spoken about it, you've gotten yeah. it out, you've used it as growth. And sorry, I'm no, making assumptions here, but from what I've learned from Garrett. So, as this abuse, how did this abuse happen? All the way until you moved out of home. Was it? So it it happened. The physical abuse wasn't all that often. It happened. It happened okay. multiple times. Um, but the biggest abuse coming from my father was physical or not physical. It was mental and emotional abuse. Um, there was lots of you know that's not a threat, that's a promise kind of stuff. Okay. Um, did, he, did he belittle you as a person? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Did, and sorry to ask, but I mean, just, and that's kind I'm of an open I'm book. here, and, and I'm here to bring it out of you, and I'm going to ask you if there's something you don't answer, but, and I keep feeling like I'm interrupting, but it's helping us get to kind of the point of your story, I feel like, and that is my job doing this, um, and what I, the purpose of it is. So... You, the verbal and mental abuse, do you see that as more effective as a, a whole towards your childhood and who you are today than what the physical was? Or do you see the physical as more of a traumatic event? It's kind of... I think it's easier to see physical as... Yeah, I Because mean, it's a physical action. It didn't happen over time. The thing is, is that I like to kind of pride myself on not building who I am based off of that. Exactly. Because you're, saying, you're not an angry person. Yeah. You could be angry. If I was to build myself off of the abuse that I went through, I feel like I would be the biggest asshole in the world. I feel like I would just have... Be angry at the world? Yeah, I would be mad the all the time. To you, you feel like the, the, world, the world doesn't care about you, things, you know, yeah. I could have fallen into that pit of depression and despair and woe is me, but I didn't. And I, and I props you for that because, I, I, and I know a conversation we've had, you still struggle. I do. As, as anyone would, but you've learned ways to cope with that. Now there's, no matter trauma, no matter the extent of trauma, there's going to be days that it affects us enough that those are what I call the hard days. I mean, they're, they're the days of weakness, they're the days that... No matter how positive you are and the mentality you built growing from this, that it's bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And those days, me and my mom just had this talk the other day. She sent me a meme, and I'm sorry, I'm going to pull my phone out and I'm going to read this because it was kind of crazy that I instinctively, this was my answer to, um, to her message. But she sent me this meme, and she does every once in a while, especially on addiction and like, 
makes me feel better. One's about like that's not who you are, like uh, whatever, just all kinds of different ones. But she sent me this meme that said sobriety is never owned. It is rented. And rent is due every day. Same in your situation. It is not something that you now because you've done it for so for so long it's a given. It's not owned, it's not it's rented. Your mentality is rented every day, and by that it means obviously it takes work and you have dues to pay to maintain that mentality. One hundred percent. And and there is, there are there is dues. It's keeping positive, it's having skills and things in place that help you get through the days that aren't so positive. It's not only that, it's continuous growth. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest impact for me is it's yes, it's owed every day. But I could now I've gotten over addiction, haven't had any problems, haven't had any you know, setbacks to where I'm like, oh my God, I could revert. But also, right now I can maintain. Yeah. I can just sit on a level. And to be able to stay sober through what I'm going through still shows strength. I can maintain because I'm getting through it. It hasn't been a problem. But I choose to continue and rent is due every day is to continue that growth no matter what. Whether I'm getting through it or not, I still want to be better. I still want to be better. And to maintain that mentality when you go going to go through something like that. It's really cool that people, there's people out there that choose to use that as growth. And that's what I was saying. If you take your situation and you choose to use it as a positive, it can make you look so good as a person. And my response to this message, and I'm sorry, we'll get off this here in a second. I'm going to let Gary keep going. But this just, and I typed it before you thought about it, and it's saying, they said, it's just rent that you get, uh, you get to control with your mindset and preparation. If you build your mindset and save what you can on the easy, easier slash cheaper days, then the consuming slash more expensive days aren't a problem. Hard work to do so on the days that life has blessed you or blessed you with make hold on sorry hard work to do so having right now it has not come to stay uh it has come to pass days not to stay just to pass it's just going through the biggest challenge is is to know what this is a part of this thing we call life this too shall pass and maintaining perspective when the hard days come they are easy. And it, it goes to what I have. There's so much more to this, but what I'm getting to is the days that it's tough, the days that it's maybe more stress that could make you revert to being uh, an addict or to be angry at your situation or to revert to being a using I mean being bipolar, you can be an abusive emotionally and physically. Um, but the days that are easy and it's easy to not revert and not to go to that, those are the days that actually should be more consuming and more use more of your energy because not only are you getting through that day, but those are the days that you are now growing and prepping for the days that are to come that are harder. So the days that are hard, you can't grow. You're not storing those things. You're just getting through, just like on the days that you're growing. So the easy days, you still have to get through. But you use those days to your advantage because those are the, like I said, the days that you can build positives and build your mm-hmm. s- stockpile more or less. And like I told her, it's like a, it's like a squirrel. The days of summer are warm and plenty full of food and all that should be the easy days mm-hmm. and the less days of energy than the winter when there is no food 
it's cold, but actually the squirrel consumes and uses more energy in the summer on the hard day or the easy days because what's he doing? Burying nuts to prep, to prep for the hard yeah. days, but he still has to eat on the easy days. So he's still eating like he would on the hard days and still having to get through and do So that energy is a guarantee no matter what. But he's putting forth all the extra effort for the days to come that are going to be hard, and it is impossible. And how would he, how would he survive if he didn't? He wouldn't. Well, and the thing he is... He would die in the winter yeah. without that preparation. And that's a really good way of putting it because what gets me through, you know, a lot of the... the you know, quote-unquote hard days, at, you know, especially at work, is looking back at the good days, the easy days, yep. and being able to be like, this This is only temporary. This isn't going to last forever. Mm -hmm. No matter how hard it is that day, yep. it's going to move on. And do you know how hard that it's easy for us? And I don't know if it's, it may be easy for us now, and it's been easy for me for a long time, not through about 10 months of my life, at, but how hard it is for some people to have that mentality or ha to have the mentality to instinctively train the mind to when a day is tough to look at positives and to look at the good days and to look at this more or less to be able to look and say life's not that bad yeah well, today's bad but the good days are still to come and if I get through these tough days I know it's going to get better next week because the majority of this has been good, right? Yeah. But to not just sit there all day and go, hmm, and to be angry, but to train your mind to go look for positives. Well, and that's just the thing. And I'm, you know, talking especially to you guys, to the people, um, it takes work. It takes so much work and it's hard. You go through way more hard days than easy days when you're doing that work. When you were putting in the work to get yourself trained to have that mindset. Exactly. That, I mean, if you can do that, I promise you, I promise you, it gets better. It gets easier. And, and this, me and Sam have talked about this same exact thing. And I don't know if you, I don't think you've listened a lot, and I don't know if I even sent it to you, but what me and Sam have talked about many times is the mind, the human mind is going to take. I learned, I literally came up with this saying from my automotive electricity class is, Electricity is going to take the path of least resistance every time, no matter what. Mm -hmm. So if there's a short, it's always going to take that path of least resistance, right? And as I was sitting in the classroom, I was like, but the human mind, the human is the same way. What's easier, what mentality just you instinctively have, that mentality of being angry at your situation, the mentality of being living in the, oh, today sucks, things suck, the human mind naturally goes to that because it's easier and takes less energy and it's less consuming to just uh, and live that than it is to force yourself to find positives, to be happy, to smile on a hard day. It is so much easier to do that. You think it's easier, but as you continue, like you just said, and you continue to over and over and over train your mind to look at the positives, to find the positives, to be positive, as you do that, the days of not positive and not being able to do that and the moments of reverting to the anger and the taking that path of least resistance becomes farther and few between. Yeah. Because you have trained your mind to take the hard path. But now as you've done that so many times, you realize that path is actually easy. Especially once you have gotten to being able to do it. 
it's easier now yeah. than it is to get angry because we don't want it. So now your path, your choice and your mental state of path of least resistance becomes that passive path, the positive path, the happy path. And when you can do that, like, and you just talked in past tense when you said that. And I don't even know if you realized you did it. And we'll go back and listen to this when we edit this. And you yeah. don't know you did it. And I do. When you talk, you said, I want to tell you guys, it gets easier. Those days get less. You started talking like you're on the other side. And you put the days that of being that person and making those, being falling into that in the past. You just didn't. You didn't even know. Yeah. You beat yourself up sometimes. And you come to me with, I need help and I need to get a different mindset or to get a different outlook. Literally this week. Yeah. It's happened. Yeah. It literally yeah. happened Every this week. week. Yeah. And, and you don't give yourself enough credit because I can tell you right now, you just instinctively, it came out of your mouth. You didn't even know it. That it gets easier. I promise. You came from giving a perspective to our guest of being on this side of the fence, mm -hmm. not that side. And sometimes you need to, when you're in a situation, and I've helped you go through this a few times, yeah. is you need to just remember you're on that side of the fence. Mm -hmm. And you know what you're doing. You know how to, you know what the right decision is. You know what is going to be best to benefit you in your situation. Just you have to believe that you're there. And mm -hmm. like I said, by you just instinctively doing that, it tells me that you know you're there. Well, you I, just do you question yourself. And yeah, I mean, just last night, it literally last night, I text you because I was having a hard time with you know what's going on in my personal life right now, which isn't important. Um, but I was I was I was having a bad day. I was having a hard time. I was having a hard time keeping that mindset, and you just turned it around. And I don't even know if you realize that you did it, but just by the text you sent me, basically being like, "Hey, focus on your mindset. You know how to to handle this situation. Just you need to adjust and not." Flat. Yeah, you need to not fall back into that you know chasm of despair, and get back to. But I didn't what have to you tell know. you how to do it. No, I had to tell you, you need to do it. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to tell you how, because I knew you knew. Yeah, and it's so awesome that there's a lot of people that I've worked with and helped in over the years that they didn't know how to, and that's a whole different level with yeah. communicating with you. I just need to. Lead the you horse to water, and you you're going to take me. the drink, and you and, yeah. and you do. I just lead you there. You know how to drink. You know how to. It's just the fact that sometimes, and we all do. I'll tell you right now. I we do. I do this on a podcast. I do this with so many people in my life that I've helped over the years doing this. I have those freaking days. You know all those times I sometimes don't answer the phone. Yeah. You know where I am. I'm in that mental state of where you were. Like, I don't tell people that openly necessarily. And it's not even like I'm always in the slumps all the time or I'm in the dumps really bad. It's just I'm not even in the, I'm not in a mental place that I want to pick the phone up and have a conversation because I'm in my own world right now. And like I said, it's not always bad. And if it's bad, I reach out to people. Um, but it, it was, it was, I knew when I sent you those messages last night, those messages, and I was falling asleep as I was doing this. And you said, you make a good point. And I knew at that point, you went, aha. Yep. And you knew how to do it, and I went to bed. Now, if your response would have been different, and I didn't respond at all. No. If your response would have been different, I would have responded again if I didn't feel like you had made it there. But I comfortably could go to bed and know, 
He's all right. He's going to go to sleep, and tomorrow he'll come back with a different attitude and because you got there. Yeah, there. and it made today so much easier. Today was the best day I've had all week, and it wasn't even necessarily like anything great happened today. It was just the easiest day that I had all week because I was able to adjust myself because of literally you just telling me, hey, fix yourself. Yep. You know? And you know what? You know why it was the easiest day this week? Why? Mindset. Because today you came in with a different mindset. Was your situation any different today than it was yesterday? No, I actually, I had a better day yesterday as far as things happening. I had a better day yesterday than I did today, and today was easier. But it was easier because your mindset. Yeah. And it was, people, that's what this is literally about. And this just gave me goosebumps. Literally gave me goosebumps. Because this is why Sam and I do what we do. And this is why we we love getting on here and talking. And you know how hard it is to get the energy to want to do this and, like, Especially, and I, I think if I was at a different place and had some 50-50 cuts, or at least my kid was staying the night and things like that, and my life had more of a structure of where I want to be, it's nowhere near my life right now. It's not at all what I want. No, oh, I know that. And I don't let my mentality and my positivity and my energy work. People never know that. Well, yeah, so when I met you, when we first started working together, I had no idea that you were going through the shit that you're going through. Like, I, had, I would have never guessed that you'd gone through the addiction. I would have never guessed that you have the, the troubles that you do. And when you told me about it, it caught me by surprise because I was like, holy shit, this guy seems like he's like got his shit together and everything's good. And then I realized what was happening. I went, wow, that is mindset. And it is. And it, do you know how hard it was? So, before, so, backstory. Mm-hmm. We talked about my consulting business that I wanted to start yep. coming on automotive. And you guys, I don't know how many know this, but when I was in service, and no arrogance, and I think I was very good at what I did. But I was I was very good at process. I came up with a process that worked, and I was very good at following. I knew it worked, and if I followed it, I was going to be successful. It was not like, oh my God, I'm a talent. Like, I just found something that worked. It worked for me. Not only did it work for me, I ended up working for so many people. But once I found that process that worked, I just forced myself and I made myself and coached myself how to follow it every time. I didn't get lazy. I didn't cut a corner. I did it every time. And that's how I got successful. So I started this idea. Actually, a friend of mine that was a very good co-worker ended up being an assistant to me. Um, and Dave Wright, he was my assistant manager. Good. We no longer speak things. Long story. We're not going into that. But um, they used to call him Little Nate. And they referred to him because he was short, little Nate, but they also because he was like little brain. Like, he was like my little mini me, bald, had facial hair, but he was like two foot shorter, plump like I am. But this kid was definitely like more of a, uh, yeah, definitely more. And that's what people used to like. I'm not kidding. I'll have to find a picture and show it to you of a girl we worked with. She was our, she more or less did like took our phone calls and did our scheduling yeah. for me and him when we were in the store. And. Her friend had seen so many Snapchat videos of me and this guy singing, and all three of us were in this office. Like we had an office mm-hmm. like the size of John's, but it was me as the service manager, my assistant manager, and then my scheduler was in there too. And we would put on uh, the A Star Is Born pod, or soundtrack. Me and him would just beller the top of our lungs singing like chicks, and this chick would just take Snapchat videos all the time and put them on her story of her bosses. This is her bosses. And one day, me and him were sitting at a rest. We went to lunch 
uh, to like a whatever on one of those shake fancy sport nutrition shake stores. We used to go yeah. every once in a while. We're standing in line waiting, and we're both standing there behind the person that's getting helped. Second in line, we're standing right next to each other, both like this. And the girl that worked with us, her best friend, came in the store and was standing behind us. And by the back of our heads, <laughs> knew who we were. And took picture a picture of us standing side by side, <laughs> both the same, and said, I found your boss in his mini. <laughs> <laughs> and no shit, like that picture still goes around. And, and, and from the back side, because our faces don't look a lot alike, but from the back side, we're identical. Just, just short, boom, taller, yeah. each partner, that's yeah, so. Um, anyways, I don't remember us going with that. Uh, oh, I got it. So we, I got it. Nate, that little guy, comes up to me and says, you are so good at what you do, and the process you have built works. You can sell. You can, you're good at people. Why don't you start doing something that teaches people how to do this? And I said, well, the problem is a lot of dealerships, they don't have, like, service trainer jobs. They don't have, like, yeah. an advisor trainer. As they, but they should. That's where they're. That's where the sales and the production comes from. Your text can, your shop can be the most productive thing in the world. If your front end doesn't sell and doesn't put the work in front of them, there's no production. Yeah. So, uh, I said, well, they don't. These dealerships don't have these types of positions. Like, what do you mean? And he's like, no. Like, start your own fucking company. You were so good at this. You don't like. I'm not talking working for one store. I'm talking. You go in and you teach dealerships how to do what you're doing. And so I got on this thing of I want to build a consulting business, teaching automotive, and I did. But I always told my grandma, my first business I ever owned was going to be named after my grandma. I wasn't sure how, what it was. How do you name a consulting business after Monica Ray Lynch? Like, Monica's consulting? Like, where's Monica? Like, what, what do you do? And I, so I, one day I was like, you know, I'm sitting in a coffee shop. Because I was, I was starting to build this. I couldn't sit at work yet. I was like, at home because I couldn't get anything done. I'd just go sit in a coffee shop and force me to work. And MRL, Monica Ray Lynch, okay, and I'm Monica Ray Lynch, MR, MRL Consulting, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. But now it's how you explain MRL Consulting to somebody, Monica Ray Lynch Consulting. It goes right back to Monica's Consulting. Yeah. Like, so I'm starting thinking, well, how can I use that? Well, mindset, M. Remind, R, and learn, L. So it was instinctively built on going into a dealership Fixing the mindset, because 99% of struggling dealerships, the problem is morale. Yeah. It's the mindset within the building. Mm -hmm. It's the guys like you that come in and like, man, I feel like people don't have my back. I feel like I have to look over my shoulder. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm stressed coming into work. Like, if I had a life problem, no one would give a shit. If I needed a day off because my kid's sick, my boss is going to be mad and not support me because my child's sick and I need to go with my child because yeah. my family's important, right? So it was go in and find where the mindset's the problem is, all the way to ownership, and sit in front of an owner and say, you're the fucking problem. Yeah. You're creating this problem. Or is it his managers? Is it because the owner's putting too much stress on the first level of managers that's now putting the stress and blowing it off on these people? So it was figuring out where the morale and the mindset was bad and why it was bad, fixing that. And now teaching the dealership managers, owner, employees, reminding them how to maintain that mindset. Putting tools in place, putting techniques into place that keep that mindset. And now once everybody has that mindset and can maintain that mindset, they can learn. But until the mindset is correct 
And until that has happened and the morale is where it should be and people feel like they're taken care of and people are happy to work where they work, they don't only want to succeed for themselves now. They want to succeed for the store. They want to see the store succeed. Yep. Because the store now is personal to them. It takes care of them. It takes care of their family. It doesn't, it's not something that's negative to their life. And once you, like I said, now that you've done that, they can learn and they will learn because they want to learn. They want to get better. They want to do better for not only them, for the store, for everything. It is insane. And that's how I, the dealerships I went into that we went from here to here right now. People used to ask me all the time, how the hell do you do it? You never even managed. You've never even, I don't know, just took care of people, made people happy. And the production went through the fucking roof because people were happy. So what I've noticed, and you know, whether it be in the business side of things or in, you know, the personal life, it's that aha moment. It's you know when you figure it out and you figure out how to change your mindset and get to where you want to be and you know become a happier person. I feel like everyone I've talked to, it is there's a defining moment of this is when it happened. This is when I was able to you know create the mindset that I needed to to be able to carry on. I have my uh, I know what my aha moment is. I know mine is mine too and I'll talk about it today. We've talked about it. Actually it was in my original podcast and I don't know if you guys all saw that, but my brother died of cancer. And I'm sorry we're going so much into this because we but it's literally building on and doing what we want it to do. My brother died of cancer and I lost my fucking mind. I was fifteen years old, I became an alcoholic, was being an idiot and the girl that I at the time thought was the girl of my dreams like thought I was going to marry this girl we had separated from like each other and we had never really dated we had in the past talked done things, but we had separated over time we didn't she was younger than me by two years so I went to high school she was in middle school I didn't speak to her she got into high school once she hit high school we kind of started slowly like just hey how are you and then it was like a text every so often and whatever and finally then I would call her every once in a while and just, I would be at a party, hammered. Now this girl is, ended up playing collegiate softball, was not a drinker, was not a, and I was on this party stage, and I was always good at football, and I was always with a different crowd of people than what I fell into when I lost my mind a little bit. Yeah. And she literally on the phone goes, Brandon, are you living a life that your brother would be proud of? And my instinct mm-hmm. was, fuck you, don't ever throw that in my face again mad because don't you bring my brother oh my yeah. dead brother like, and I hung the phone up mad yelled at her and hung up and after I hung that phone up I was like she's right yeah she's right and I called her back and I was like I'm gonna do whatever I can do to change my life that was my aha uh-huh. it yeah. took her throwing that in my face for my aha uh-huh. and I've even tried to now since my little brother's been struggling has not made good choices for many years I tried to throw it in his face one time and see if it would be an aha for him. He didn't know that's what I was doing. But I'm wondering if I, maybe if I make the same impact on him, like he'll, and I said it to him, fuck you, don't ever fucking do that to me, don't ever fucking bring him up, da 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 da. And I don't know, it was, we never even, I bet we didn't talk for months after that. He didn't pick that phone back up. Mm-hmm. He did come to me, and it wasn't his aha moment, because believe me, there was much more negative to come after that, and he's actually on his aha moment now, and it's his son. Arthur who comes into the store but he apologized to me and he comes to me and goes you were right you were fucking right it made an impact on him but it wasn't his aha moment well I I gave my mom her aha moment 
Really? And, you know, she's, you know, at this point, she was in her 50s. And, you know, she'd gone through her own stuff. But she was going through one of the darkest times in her life. She had just lost her dad. She was, I don't know if she had lost her mom yet, but her mom was on her way out. Um, and we had gone through just, I mean, together we had gone through some really yeah. shitty times. Plus, and I'm sure she went through the mental and physical abuse oh, portion of what you did, too. If she yeah, was, more the mental than yeah. the physical, but yeah. yeah. And she mentally, emotionally disappeared. I mean, she was there physically, but she was so caught up in her own stuff that she couldn't be the mom that I needed her to be. And I was probably like 16 at the time. And that's okay. And, well, I... As a child, it's really hard to swallow, but that's okay. It's like I told you, sometimes I can't pick a phone. Yeah. They, sometimes you can't be the person you need to be to take care of yourself. You have to step aside. Yeah. And hopefully they're taking care of themselves and absolutely in misery. But go ahead, sorry. No, you're fine. So she was living in misery. And actually, now that I think about it, I think I was younger than 16. I think I was probably 14 or 15. And uh, my mom and I were sitting on the couch and she was talking to me about how, you know, her despair and how she was having suicidal thoughts and things like that. And I told her, I, I got mad at her. And I said, you aren't being the mom that I need you to be. You you're not being a mom to me. And I, you know, it, it was, you know, something more blunt and yeah. straightforward yeah, oh than that. Yeah, because you're but, speaking from emotion, right? Now. Yeah. You're speaking from a story now. Exactly. True and emotion. she stopped and she went, oh my God, and I saw it in her face. That was the aha moment of, oh my God, my whole life, my goal has been to be a good mother. And right now I'm going through this and I'm not even being a mom. And that was her time to turn around and change her mindset and go, no, I need to be what I need to be for myself. And you just did something to me that, you just gave me something by that little story there. I've always looked at it as your aha moment, right? Mm -hmm. It's aha moments and I didn't even notice it because I had hit my aha moment and that was, I was 17, 18 years old. And from that day forward, it was growth, growth, growth. It was, what's college? Got in the dealerships. At 25, I was running a store of 60 guys. Mm -hmm. um, my growth was very rapid because it was, I'm telling you, from that day, it was, I had goals. I knew I was going to make those goals happen. When I, this past year and a half, fell off the, the wagon, mm -hmm. addiction happened. And to be at such a high, and I've talked about this too, to be at literally rock bottom. You'd think, looking back, you were at rock bottom when you had your aha moment and this growth happened, but you never know. There always very well could be a rock bottom, even bigger, like even mm -hmm. deeper, deeper than you've ever been. And at that time, I never thought I'd be in a situation again that I would hit a bottom because I was so positive for so long and I growth every day for so long. And to be so successful and to be an inspiration to people and helping people I hit a bottom even deeper than where I was, than what I say was my actual aha moment. See. And you know what it was? Hmm. Caden. Yeah. I was living in such misery, such in my own pity, that I went through my addiction after being a dad. I always wanted to be a dad. It's all I've ever wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And I was a dad. And I wasn't even there. I wasn't a dad. I wasn't mentally there. I was not making choices that were good for Caden. I was not 
I was an addict. I was doing cocaine every day of my life. Mm-hmm. At a moment, there was supposed to be something I'd worked so hard to get to. And when I went sober, my reality was, I'm not being, I'm Kane's dad. I'm a fucking dad. I didn't even know I was, it didn't hit me for 10 months. I never processed, I'm not being a dad. I didn't process, I just thought I'm, at that point I'm like, I am his dad. I am being a dad. I'm doing the best I can do. Also through my addiction, I thought I was doing the best thing by doing, having, being an, having an addiction that kept me working to make more money to get him and I where we were going. Like so blind because I was living in my misery. And my aha was, I'm not, a, I'm not the best dad I could be. And that's when I went sober. The next day I went sober and I haven't looked back, but I had a second aha moment. And then you telling a story of your mom being your mom and not who she needed you to be just made me realize that I just thought I went back to who I was before my trauma. No, it was, I had a secondary aha moment that now this aha moment came from even lower. And this aha moment's going to take me even higher than where I was. And you know why? Mindset. 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 And I'm going to choose to grow past where I even was before. I've looked back and looked back and I want to be who I was. Interruption. Garrett needs another beer, so he's going to get up for a second. That's <clears throat> So I'll keep talking, but I kept, I've looked back over this last year and a half. I was robbed of the person I was. I lost the person I was. And I want to get back to who I was. No, I don't. I want to be even better. Yeah. And this low taught me even more than what the first low did, which now that I know more, I'm going to be they say if you choose to use your low to grow and to learn from you don't get here without having the lows and the learnings and the lessons I learned more I'm gonna this whole situation it keeps trying to keep putting me to a low yeah. it's constant growth as a person the mindset I was so good I cut literally built a business on mindset and growth and the situation I'm in, I did let it take that from me. But to continue the mindset I have every day, with it repetitively happening every day now for 400 and some days, yeah. you know the strength and the growth that comes from that? But it's any trauma. Any trauma does not end the day that you choose growth either. Your trauma from your childhood of your dad being emotionally and mentally abusive doesn't end because you chose to be better still comes up every day mm-hmm. and you're still growing from it every day because in every day life's a little different and the way you have to revert your mindset to positivity is a little different and a little mm-hmm. different you find a different way today you find a different way tomorrow and your growth only continues as you find more ways anyways what we're going to do from here is i'm going to get back to garrett because i keep just talking and i gotta stop <laughs> um so anyway so you tell your mom this and what happens does she is it instant that she looks at you and tells you, you're right, and I, I'm going to fix this? And it, and it was fixed from there? Or did she ever revert? Did she ever, or was it constant? No, she, it was right then and there. I saw it in her face. I saw it in her eyes that that was the aha moment, and that was when she... <laughs> Sorry, I tried to open Garrett's beer here. <laughs> that was, um, I saw it in her face. I saw that that was her, she, she changed. Immediately. I mean, it was an immediate change. 
And, you know, you talk about how there's the aha moment, and a lot of times the aha moment comes at absolutely rock bottom. Me, myself, I hit rock bottom, and I started to grow. I started to have my, you know, building, and then I had my aha moment. It didn't come at rock bottom. Really? Yeah, it came partially into my growth. Now, it was early, but it still came so you partially knew you into wanted, my growth. you knew you wanted better. Yeah. But... And you started to do that in probably a much slower pace than where your aha moment accelerated it. And that's, I guess that kind of goes to my addiction. Like, I knew I wanted to be sober, and I started to get somewhat sober. Like, I hadn't been sober any day for 10 months, and all of a sudden I was going one or two days, or three days, and then when I had my aha, I was just done. So I guess it kind of relates. Yeah. And you knew you wanted to do better, and you started to do better. But the actual boom of what yeah. really accelerated it came later, later, huh? So, and that's kind of a good segue into getting into, you know, the thick of my story. Yeah. And where things, you know, really got bad for me. So, the really bad wasn't even the abuse growing up. I mean, yeah, I dealt with that every day. And it was terrible. I, you know, I won't, you know, water it down. It... It sucked. Yep. I grew up with that, and it sucked. And my childhood was not a great childhood. Do I have some good memories from my childhood? Sure. Everybody but it was not go. the most traumatic. So that leads no. to my next question. My first question was, when you look at your childhood, what's the biggest trauma? Mm -hmm. When you look at your life, what was your biggest trauma? What is your biggest trauma? My biggest trauma came fresh out of high school. I had, you know, so... I wanted to go to Iowa State because they had a really good graphic design program, and I was dead set that was what I was going to do. And Which he's good at, by the way. He showed me some stuff earlier. Um, so I was dead set. I'm like, I want to go to Iowa State. I want to get into Iowa State. But I didn't decide I wanted to do that until later in my high school career, and I had already fucked myself. My GPA was in the shitter, and it was bad, and I'm like, I don't know how I'm ever going to get into Iowa State this way. So I put in my application to Iowa State, and it, you know, I got a letter later and it was always, it was that moment you get the letter, mm -hmm. right? And it says, we regret to inform you. And I... It's like some accepted movie, the movie accepted yeah. shit right there. Yeah. You and just started I, college next and become a badass. So, well, no, I, <laughs> I wish I could say I did. So how did you end up um, getting in then? So, yeah, so I got the rejection letter and I didn't give up. I said, no, I have this dream. I want to go to Iowa State. I want to be a graphic designer and go to Iowa State and, and you know, build on being a graphic designer. And so I went to Iowa State. I went with my mom one day and I went and talked to the dean of students. I managed to get an appointment with the dean of students. How did you get an appointment? I don't even remember how it happened, but I managed to get in and talk to him. And um, we went in and we talked to him and, and I told him my dream. I told him what I wanted to do. I told him you know, how dead set I was. And I told him my story of being in high school and how I didn't care about grades and I didn't think it was important. And then I got to the point where it actually, you know, meant something. And I kind of went, oh shit, I fucked up. And based on their like algorithm, I was like 46th in my class or something. But how many? 47? 56. Okay. My graduating class was 56 people. And he looked at it and he went, Oh, well, our algorithm fucks that up every time when you have such a small class and threw it out the window and accepted me right then and there. And he goes, but don't disappoint me. You are getting an opportunity here that not a lot of people get. 
because while yes, you're academically, the school doesn't want you. But academically, you don't show potential I, for success. No, I didn't. And but you saw success. You know, he reminded me a lot of my grandfather actually, but my grandfather on the other side that wasn't the restoration expert. Um, but basically, he told me, "Don't fuck this up." And so, you know, my mom and I walked out of the office and we had that moment where we both cried and we were both so happy because I got accepted to Iowa State all because I, you know, had this drive to do it. And so, you know, moving past that, we got to orientation and I connected with a girl that I went to school with who was also going to Iowa State. Um, her name's Tess. And, you know, one thing we started talking and one thing led to another. Um, she had just gotten out of a relationship with another guy and you know that's how we started talking and she was talking about how she was still having troubles with him and how it was had become this kind of off and on relationship and whatever so she just got another relationship and we decided hey we're both going to Iowa State let's see where this goes so relationship started um so man this story's gives me <laughs> the quivers <laughs> from times. okay go ahead so we go to Iowa State, and um, I, you know, moved in, met my roommate. My roommate and I were never going to mesh. Yeah. We just, we were different people. I'm not saying he was a bad guy, yeah. he wasn't. Yeah. You know, but well, we just, we were different people. I can live with about 1% of the population right now, so I get that. Yeah. So, um, I ended up, you know, we had been in a relationship for, shit, a month. And I ended up spending most of my time at her dorm room because she had, well, actually starting, she had a room with another girl that she didn't get along with. And it, you know, wasn't going well with her, but I spent most of my time with her at her dorm room. And not realizing it, we were both really depressed. Like, I was diagnosed with depression when I was in fifth grade. Okay. Um, and so I had anxiety and depression. I was, you know, wrongly diagnosed of ADD and... I was taking these ADD medications that were keeping me from eating, and I didn't realize how depressed I was. And so, what did we do to solve both of our depressions? We had a lot of sex. And the relationship grew off of sex. Yes. Yeah. Which um, I think a lot of not the right time, not the right place relationships do. So, um, so there was a lot of sex, and you know, whatever, we won't get deep into that, obviously, but... I did. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> um, never has, never will. Yeah, so, uh... Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I thought your little chuckle was like he didn't understand, but is he blowing me off? No, nope, he gets it now. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Uh, so... Maybe... Um... So, she ended up talking to this guy again, talking to her ex. Um, now, she had told me that he had, like, forced her into a closet and made her do things while they were in a relationship, or she would wake up and he would already be doing things to her and things like that. Like, there was legit rape in this, in this okay. relationship. And I had to tell her that this dude raped you. Like, she didn't even realize it until I pointed out, like... She's so brainwashed. Yeah, I was like, that's rape. And usually a lot of women in that situation or situations like that, they are brainwashed. I mean, it's unfortunate. But, sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. So, 
you know, I was thinking that this relationship was going great. And I had gotten into this mindset, and I don't even remember how I got to this mindset, but I got into this mindset of, I care about me. I'm going to do what makes me happy. I'm going to do whatever I want to do and fuck anyone else and whatever. And so I got into this super self-centered, you know, mindset and I ended up pushing my family away, like hard. Like it got to the point that my family didn't even want anything to do with me. I get that. Um, and so things were getting worse and worse and we would go back to Tipton every weekend, which was a two hour drive. We'd go back to Tipton every weekend because she'd want to see her mom. And, you know, her dad was an alcoholic and there was a lot of abuse between her dad and her mom and stuff. But um, we would go back to Tipton and little did I know, we would go back to Tipton and she'd be visiting this guy. And she'd be going behind my back and seeing this guy behind my back. And nothing, you know, sexually ever happened, but they, it was still one of those things where it's, She's going back to this guy behind my back without. Well, she's you know, not being truthful for one. No. And deceptive. And how do you know it's not at that point what's going on? Because if she's yeah. being deceptive about even seeing him, what else is she deceptive about? Well, exactly. So this this point hit, and I was you know in the relationship. I was kind of brainwashed because I was like, this girl is the end all be all. Yeah. And really, it was all based around sex, but. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think we've all had a very good sexual relationship with someone and be like, yes. I can live with this. <laughs> yeah. You don't realize so. that that's all the emotion it's built on. And there's no, there's nothing else there. No. The important things that are actually what a relationship is about. Like, yeah. At that age and time, yeah, I was, that's what was I important. I was 19 years old. Yeah, exactly. So You don't realize, I mean, you're not, I don't, in my mind, I was in a serious relationship for a long time in high school and I didn't even realize and I was so mentally undeveloped in that category, as 99.9% of 19-year-olds are. You're not developed enough to even know or haven't gone through enough things or whatever. Even I had a childhood that I went through a lot of things. You did too. You still don't have grasp what a relationship is built on and what the important things. The people that make it 50 years... Don't make it on a sexual relationship. No, absolutely not. They, they make it on connection. They make it mm -hmm. on trust. They make it on you wait you just like people in the mindset at a business of the place is taking care of you. If something were to happen, the known fact inside of you of you know that you're going to lose parents going through life. You know that traumatic things are going to happen through life. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose, but you have that person by your side. Mm -hmm. And you, it's somebody that you know is going to be there. You know is going to hold you up. You know, it's somebody who truly cares about you and your well-being. If you were to get sick, mm -hmm. when they say in sickness and health, this really screws me a lot. Because I said wedding vows. You haven't. No. I did. And, and in sickness and health still messes with me and angers me because when I was an addict, I was sick. I didn't want to be an addict. I didn't want to go through the things that you put me through and make me an addict. Granted, I made those choices, and we all know I'm not making that, but those, the trauma that I went through definitely led me there. I made the choices, but the sickness and health wasn't there. Yeah. Because I was sick, and that's what I needed her. And that's what, that's what that's about. It's not about just health. It's about mental health. It's about mentally being the person that you were maybe at one time, and there's that that saying goes so broad. It's, yeah. It really does, and it's a lot deeper. But anyway, sorry to revert to that. You're but fine. 
So your relationship's built on sex. She's lying to you. She's breaking trust now. She's yeah. So the whole time I didn't realize that, honestly, I was sick. I was extremely depressed. Now, a little bit of backstory on my mental health. So, like I said, in fifth grade, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. And that was actually a conversation I had to have with my mom in the car. I said, I think I need to get help. Yeah. Because I didn't feel good. Yeah. And, you know, went and got help and thought things were getting better and thought I was getting on meds that were doing good things for me. And they really weren't. So, you know, we're at Iowa State. And honestly, probably had a malpractice suit that was totally there for this but we ended up seeing the same school psychiatrist okay and rather than treating us as individuals he treated us as if we were one person he was putting us on the same medications he was doing you know when we would go in for our you know sessions and we would talk to him about what's going on in our lives we didn't talk about us we talked about each other he was asking about her and apparently when she was in there he was asking about me and, we then, were, and then prescribing you the same And then things. prescribing us the same medications. And we got on, uh, we both ended up on Cymbalta, which I will forever say Cymbalta has got to be the worst depression drug. Uh, it's just. I've it's, never been on it. Um, I've never taken the pressure anxiety meds until this last year and a half. But that's not what I've been on. And actually, my ex wife was anxiety, depression. We'll kind of go back to that. And we're, mm-hmm. gonna, we're actually going to tie that into your story. And I'm holding out on that. But. Anxiety, depression, they put her on Cymbalta. It was 10 times worse. It was the same with us. She, even as, like, if being depressed and having anxiety and was diagnosed with that, she could get out of bed every day. She could function. On the weekend, she'd sleep in and stuff. On that Cymbalta, you couldn't get her out of bed. No, I was the same way. Like, she wouldn't get out of bed. She was so mopey. She was so down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you know what, though? It probably has helped somebody. I'm sure it's helped I mean, somebody. There's a reason but that it's a thing, but not every, especially. I mean, I've, like I said, I've been exposed to this world of anxiety and depression meds now for the last year and a half, and I've been on five or six. But they, they supposedly start you on the one most successful ones at the beginning, mm-hmm. and they're choosing those because they've seen either a they're getting more spiff and kickback on those pills. I yeah. don't know. I don't know how that works. Or b it's because they've seen that one statistically work mm-hmm. the best but the ones I think it negatively affects that can be one medication to you and a different one to me yeah it it, it definitely it makes it it makes a massive difference it's so negative yeah it's meant to do a positive and that's a thing that I don't know if any of you have ever had to go on them or if you do if you start to feel that way on them address that now well and because it's you'll continue to take it and it only gets worse it tends to be really hard to recognize yes. that in yourself that these changes are happening yes. and you're feeling worse because but you are already you be self-aware. But you're already feeling so shitty in the mm-hmm. first place that when you start feeling shittier, it's like, oh, this is the norm. Yeah, you know, yeah. which is I'm having a bad day. It's getting worse. It's, yeah, it's, and it's not the medication. You think it's just you and your mentality. Exactly. So it's so hard to recognize. They need to coach that in self-awareness. And the only reason I knew that going into taking them and I could say once and start taking one that oh no that's been it's because i watched this through mm-hmm. her for so long i could watch the signs and, and i would know since i started taking this i'm spending four hours more a day and better on the weekends yeah. on sunday i don't get out of it like yeah um anyways continue on so we're both on cymbalta um and we we ended up going back to tips in one weekend and at this point we had adopted a dog together 
we got a pit bull. Uh, her name was Annie, the sweetest dog. Uh, she was an absolute sweetheart. Everybody's like, oh, pit bulls are terrible and they're, you know, gonna eat people and whatever. This was like the sweetest dog ever. She was such a sweetheart. Um, and so she was at the park in Tipton taking the dog for a walk and mm -hmm. just hanging out, right? And she lived a little bit out of town, so she had to drive into town to, to take the dog for the walk. And I don't remember what I was doing or what it was, but for some reason I knew she was at the park and I, you know, went to go meet up with her and just see Annie and yeah. whatever. And she didn't know you were coming. You were just kind of surprised her no, here? I think, I think she knew I was coming. Okay, okay. And so I, you know, went to the park and she was off. She was very off and she kept trying to get me to go away. I could tell that she was trying to get me to go away. And at some point in us talking, I saw her ex drive by. I knew his car. So he was coming. Yeah. And that's why so, I wondered if she knew if you were coming or not, and you showed up and he was there. Okay. Yeah. So I ended up, um, you know, I, I knew what was about to happen. And so I drove off. I agreed because I knew what was about to happen. So I agreed and I drove off, and I literally drove like two blocks, maybe a little bit farther, and turned around and came back. And of course, He's there. And I flew, it was a gravel parking lot, I flew into that parking lot in my Monte Carlo, slid the car to a stop, and this dude was up and running before I even was out of the car, flung the door open, and I was ready to beat this kid's ass. And the only thing that really stopped me from it was the fact that I was above 18, and he wasn't. He was like 17 at the time, I think, but I was so angry, and I was already, you know, in. You know, I had my bipolar going on. I didn't know it was bipolar at the time. And it was just this snap. And I was so angry. And I wish I could say this was the end of the relationship, but it wasn't. And so... The story just keeps oh, reminding me more. So, um, he ended up taking off. And I think I punched his car. I don't remember. I think I punched his fender in that or something. But he ran. But you know what? The guy was tough enough and manly enough to rape a woman, but when it comes to another man, yeah, well, yeah, and runs like hell because he doesn't. Boy, so do smart. I have another story about that, but we aren't going to get into that today. Um, so I, you know, he takes off. I screamed at her. I was so fucking pissed, and I drove off, and I was ready to end it right there, and I really should have. Mm -hmm. I really should. Should have, could have, would have. I wish I had. Yep. And. I didn't leave so, my wife after being cheated on my wedding. I didn't get you. Yeah. I should have. That probably should have been. Good yeah. So, um, so I drove off. She calls me crying. I turn around and come back. And, um, you know, our song or whatever was The Bird and the Worm by Owl City. Um, I'll have to listen to it later. It, it's, it's a good song. Um, I like Owl City. I got into Owl City when I was, you know, in high school. It was their Firefly song, you know. Yeah. Um, that was the one that made them big, and then from that I bought one of their albums and, you know, got into them that way. But, um, so I ended up sitting in the parking lot in my car, her on my lap, the dog in the back seat, listening to Bird and the Worm, and forgiving her literally like five, ten minutes after this had happened. Sounds about right. Yeah. And But you know what? At that age, too... Sorry to interrupt, this is something, I did the same thing over and over and over. I mean, I left my wife ten times. Everybody told me to leave ten times. Everyone told me, my older brother, my best friend, don't marry her, don't marry her. The night before the wedding, two of my buddies sat with us in the, me in the hotel lobby, begging me not to marry her the next day, saying, we'll stand there, if you choose to. And one of them told me, 
his wife, came to him and said, they had an infant and she was pregnant. And she said, I am okay with the fact if you and Brandon need to disappear for a week. If Brandon wow. chooses tonight, he needs to go and you have that conversation with him and he agrees with you. You don't, you just call me, tell me where you guys end up. You don't have to call me. I know you're all right. Get out of here and disappear for a week with him. She was okay That's with that. big. And we contemplate, I'll be honest. And I can, it, it may seem like I didn't contemplate because I ended up doing it. So the week of my wedding, now I've had this conversation with him. My other buddy's sitting there agreeing with him. And they together came to me to have this conversation. My older brother took me to dinner twice the week of my wedding and tried to get me to not marry her. My dad called me every morning the week of the wedding, asking me if I was sure. Never telling me, no, don't, 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 if that's what you choose, but asking me if I was sure. Never saying, don't marry her, I don't want you to. It was always, are you sure, are you sure? Uh, he always supported me if I chose that. Yeah. That's the relationship him and I have. But there was so many people, and I'm not, and it wasn't even 100% like all of them are like in a relationship now. Don't marry her. It was, some of it was, should we stop it? Work on things we needed to work on, maybe get later, married later? Mm-hmm. I mean, was it, I don't think you guys are right at all. I don't think you're a good fit. That was definitely my older brother. Like my older brother was, you two just aren't. Just good. don't. No, just yeah. don't. Um, but there was some of it that was, and, and I did. I tried to postpone it going definitely into the wedding multiple times trying to postpone it didn't end up working in my favor um but anyways go on so this happened you know oh we're, i'm sorry where i was going with that oh at that point in time we as humans you at that age and even me at almost 30 and didn't get married and had ready to help raise two children and had a kid i didn't realize it we didn't have boundaries you didn't mm. have the boundaries for yourself to say no. That's true. That's a good point. I never really that thought about that. It's something I'm not okay with. You weren't, but you didn't have that boundary in place of saying that's enough. Yeah. You've hit my boundary. For my well-being, my best, here's my boundary, and you wow. boundaries. That's... And we continue to go back because we don't have those boundaries. We don't have that internal not... Yes, and we lack respect by not having the boundaries. We're not intentionally doing it, but we haven't gone through enough that we built those boundaries for ourselves we yeah. haven't seen the other side and been drugged through it so hard that you say okay now that it was it took me so much i worked so hard to get back here you put boundaries in place to never get back here there is a limit of how far back before mm-hmm. you'll go before you'll say that's my boundary that's okay so that's interesting that you say that because that's something that i didn't the boundary thing mm-hmm. I didn't realize it until literally just now that that has never been in any of my relationships until now. My current relationship, boundaries are a huge thing. And even though that's a huge thing and we've created these boundaries and you know we have those healthy boundaries, I never realized that that was something I never had in the past until right now. There's an aha moment. Yeah. So, so where I learned this, and I'll still to this day say, you know, my addiction, now that I can choose to make a negative or positive, I learned about boundaries and treat. When I went to treatment, they diagnosed my, and most know this, but they diagnosed my addiction mainly on trauma. It was trauma that caused addiction, not addiction that caused its own trauma. Yeah. It's not addiction caused trauma, but um, 
the biggest thing is most people that I went to treatment with were going through addiction classes all day long and treatment all day long. They were pulling me out of the classes about addiction to have me individually one of 70 people working with a person on my trauma. They were focusing on my trauma. Mm-hmm. Most of these people it was addiction. Now, a lot of addiction is based off of trauma. Now, most of the other people there had traumas that had been then slowly through their life developed to addiction. And like I said, I, I'm a firm believer that most addiction is caused by some sort of trauma. Mm-hmm. But mine was so severe in the time going in that they knew this needs to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah, trauma needs to be addressed now. Mm-hmm. Man's not sleeping, even sober, not sleeping. Still can't sleep if he hears a noise, he lands on his feet before he even wakes up. It was so mentally, they could tell that it had mentally affected me so severe that if I addressed the trauma, the addiction was going to come so much easier. Yeah. And so I was going through this. And when, <clears throat> hold on one second, everybody, sorry. We're going to take a little break. Um, I don't talk to my dad very often, and he works a really weird schedule, and he's giving me a call. So we're going to talk, put some things together quick, actually, on boundaries and come back to you guys and go a little deeper on this, and we're going to wrap things up. So give us just a minute. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. All right, everybody, we're back. Sorry about that. My dad was calling me, and with his work schedule and mine, we don't talk a whole lot and whatnot. So uh, I am going to apologize here. There may be over this next ending session part of this here that I may randomly just stand up and stand over here, and I had back surgery last week, and sitting in this chair is killing me. So I'm hanging in there as much as I can, but if I do stand up, that's why. Um, so we're going to touch base, and we're going to go back to boundaries. Um, we were kind of talking about where I learned boundaries and where they came into my life, and they're just now coming to a realization to Garrett by me talking about that. It's what I love about doing this. And these just now going to boundaries and Garrett as a guest, not even listening, yeah. is going to take something from this that definitely I think is going to change his life a little bit and it's going to make good positive effects on his life. Um, so. Uh, boundaries. Uh, I was talking about going to rehab, going to treatment, doing that. I was going through more treatment for my trauma, and the biggest thing that they told me was if I had had boundaries and put boundaries into place and knew how to have those, I wouldn't have half the trauma I did because I kept going back and kept going back, knowing it was a toxic environment, knowing it wasn't good for me, knowing there were so many failed attempts at things getting better, that if I would have had boundaries, I would have stopped the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and I would have put that boundary in place and said, okay, enough is enough, this is my boundary. We either, from here, go forward. Mm-hmm. There is no opportunity to go backwards because my boundary is stopping. If there's any backwards, I'm done. Yeah. And unfortunately, I didn't have that boundary. I allowed it to go further south, further south, further south, and so, I started thinking about boundaries, and when you first hear the words and you first kind of, when they start talking about it, I definitely didn't have an aha like you did right there when they first brought it up because I don't think it was, it was brought up to me of I need to have boundaries, I need to have boundaries, and I hadn't applied them to my life in a situation yet like you were. Like I applied it to you not having boundaries, and that's why you kept going back to her. Yeah. At first, I wasn't, they just kept saying I needed boundaries. They weren't saying, your relationship, the reason your relationship continued and why you didn't leave is because this, it was more or less you need to figure out how to have boundaries. You need to figure, 
and I couldn't put it together. Mm -hmm. I like was putting weird, silly boundaries into place, and then finally they explained it, and I don't remember how, I really don't, I, which I can tell you, in a way that I went, whoa. If I would have had boundaries on the relationship, it wouldn't have happened. If I would have had boundaries on how many hours a week I was working, addiction wouldn't have needed to be such a thing to continue working. Yep. If I would have had boundaries on where my standpoint of who I was as a dad and allowed myself to go below as a dad would have been put in place, it would have stopped addiction. It would have stopped being treated the way I was at home because my boundaries would have stopped me from being in toxicity that then took away my happiness. And I, my biggest aha of leaving home and ending the relationship before the full addiction was I knew as a person I was genuinely a happy person. Yeah. I was genuinely typically a positive person. Yes, I had put things into place to constantly more positivity and grow, and, but just as who I am and where I come from in my nature was happy, smiley, positive, and it had robbed that. I mean, it just constantly, so many things over time had been taken from me and so many traumatic things had happened and it was harder to be happy. And it got me to a point of here with my happiness and who I was that I was like, wait a second, that's not who Caden's dad is. That's not who I want Caden to have as a father because his dad is that person that's happy and yeah. da, da 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 And I want that in his life for him, but I wasn't able to give it to him. Uh, honestly, I can totally relate to that because, you know, prior to me being diagnosed with, you know, anxiety and depression when I was in fifth grade, I was that happy person. I was that happy, bouncy kid, even though I was having, you know, yeah. the shit with my dad. I was that happy, bouncy person. And then from the point that I was in fifth grade until I was 19, you know, almost 20, I wasn't. I wasn't that person. And I completely, over all those years, I had completely forgotten who I was. And you didn't, you didn't even notice it because no. for one at that age too, I think being that happy-go-lucky person and have, maintaining that as a human being is less important to you as a person just yeah. because you're young and you're not you know, you you're aren't developed enough yeah you're not developed enough to even know that's what you're doing or the projection or the longevity all like all that so it, me I lost it knowing that and that's who I wanted to be and who I was I took pride in being that person yeah you were in a place where you hadn't done that yet and so it was it was ten times easier I'm sure for you to slip into it. And also at that young of an age, it's just, to you, it's just life. That's just what was happening. And, mm -hmm. and you didn't know how to process what exactly was happening. Um, and that it was a bigger problem than what you probably thought it was. You yeah. Know, you just probably thought it was a problem just because you're down or maybe it was causing things like getting grounded because you're angry or like you. Yeah. And now your video games get taken away because you're yelling and you're getting angry and now you're being grounded. The side of the negatives to you were my dumb parents grounded me and still not relating it to but it was my fault because I'm angry and I'm yelling and well exactly but I mean being a kid that's the way it's going to be and you know to kind of put things in perspective um, you know especially for the people and you know I I've been stating a lot of the facts of you know this is what happened and everything like that and not so much talking about what my depression was like yeah 
and my depression, you know, growing up, you know, I was in middle school, and middle school was a terrible time for me. I think it's kind of a bad time for everybody. Yeah, I think so. Um, but, you know, I was having the suicidal thoughts, and, you know, I never really got into the, like, self-harm, and, you know, I was surrounded by people, you know, doing the self-harm thing, mm -hmm. and cutting and whatever like that, and I, you know, at one point I took a razor blade out of an eraser, and I cut the back of my hand, and I went, fuck, that hurts, I don't want to do that, yeah. you know? So, not on the cutting thing. But, you know, I had gotten to the point, and, you know, I think, I think it was in high school, but I had gotten to the point where I had tried to figure out a way to try to hang myself. And this was after I had lost a friend to suicide. I actually lost a friend when I was in high school, and he was still in middle school. I lost him to suicide. Um, so let me ask: When you lost a friend to suicide, did it make you have the mentality of people like that are selfish and have no no remorse for them, and like have off? Oh, that was their choice, or was it more of an emotion that you chose to be sympathetic towards those people? So I definitely think go one way or the other. You, there's an anger and like that don't like he had a goddamn choice, or and I've seen people go that way, but I've also seen now people that have gone through it, like I said, become more mm -hmm. sympathetic and. So with that, I. First off, I was sad because I'd lost a friend. Yep, and. Honestly, he and I hadn't talked in a while, you know, I was going to church back then, we had met at church, and, you know, he was always that kind of, like, weird kid, but we got along, you know, yeah. we would play at church and shit like that, yeah. and, and I was a couple of years older than him, he was still in middle school, I was in high school, we hadn't really talked, you know, once there's that separation in middle school and high school, you know, really keep in contact with the same people, but I still considered him to be a friend. Yeah. I found out later that he had been bullied to death. He had so much bullying going on every day he went to school that he couldn't bear it anymore. And he hung himself, and his little sister found him, which is just awful for her. And so How many old was she? Oh, God, she was late elementary school. Could you imagine that? Oh, that I don't even want to. I don't even want to. I, I mean, if there is a sympathy, it, it is definitely for, I mean, it's for him, but his little sister finding her brother hanging in his bedroom, yep. like, oh, my God, I don't even want to imagine what that would be like. Um, so, anyway, my depression, you know, I, I had gotten to the point where I was ready to do it myself. Yeah. And, you know, I had set it up, I did something with a belt and a ceiling fan or something, and the ceiling fan honestly probably wouldn't have helped me, I would have just torn it out of the <laughs> ceiling, but, um... Especially with... <laughs> I wasn't... I wasn't sturdy ass I wasn't fan. this big! So Thank God for the shitty content! <laughs> Actually, I graduated high school at 160 pounds. I used to be yeah, skinny as hell. I, did. I used to be skinny as hell. So, anyway. I think my heaviest weight in high school was like a sophomore. I was like 260, 270. Yeah, no, no. My senior year going into football, I, was now. Like, I weighed in at 215, but by the end of senior year, I blew my knee out and destroyed it and didn't finish my season. I think I was 250, 260. Yeah, but no. I drank a lot of bush light in high school. See, I, I drank in high school, but I didn't like drink a lot yeah, of beer in high school. Um, my preferred drink in high school was Jack and Coke. So um, one sixty. So I was obviously. At so now you go. This this attempted suicide. So it wasn't necessarily an attempted suicide. It was a planning for suicide. Okay. okay. Um, and I think my parents came home, and I I got scared, and I backed out of it. Do you? Well, I was gonna say, do you really think it's something you would probably not really follow through? It was, 
a curiosity and like more of an emotion you're having of do you really do you really think you were at an emotional point where you could have I think I mean, we've all thought about it. I mean I, who in the who in human mind doesn't think that do all humans think about what if I wasn't here anymore like yeah and I don't think the if that makes sense like yeah as you you're curious about just like he's got a thing yeah like you get you, it's one of those I things nobody really knows but like when you start to think about suicide like is that normal to have those thoughts? Is it not normal? How deep are you? I thought it was kind of normal just because of the, the people I was surrounded with. But at the same time, I think that I probably could have gone through with it. Really? I think I was at that point because I was going through the stuff with my dad and, you know, with school. And, you know, I went through bullying and things like that. You know, it happens to everybody. But, um, And do you think this became a thing and a thought in your mind even to begin with because you had heard of other people that were depressed doing it and that was their answer or was it because you literally were so mentally tired that you didn't want to continue anymore? I think it was because I was so mentally tired really? that I didn't want to. Really? Yeah. I, uh, because the thing is, is, and you know, this was a long time ago, but I don't remember thinking about, you know, other people and what they've done. I just didn't want to be anymore. Yeah. I was, you know, so low that I was just like, Fuck it, the world's better without me. Everybody hates me. You know all I'm the tired, exactly. I don't want to wake up every day. Everything that people with anxiety and depression yeah. go through, and so I was going through. You know, going forward, going through the thing with Tess, it was that times a thousand. I mean, I just, I really did want to kill myself, but I had her and she was the reason that I needed to stay because she was so depressed that I couldn't, you know, leave her and things like that. So, um, picking up, it got to the point that, so after the whole thing where I found them in the park, yeah. um, I tried to draw a boundary there. I tried to say, you're done. You're not talking to him anymore. And I'm but like, you tried to because you know that's what you want to not happen, but was it truly a boundary? It wasn't maybe necessarily a boundary. It was a, you're done because I don't want you to do it, not a, because your boundary isn't to her. You're not drawing well, your boundary true. to her. Your boundary should be for you. And if it was a true boundary, it wouldn't be a, you're done because that's my boundary and I won't let you do that anymore. It's, you're done because I, as a person, am not okay with this. And if it continues, I can't do this anymore. I'm not, uh, it's not that. I'm going to leave you because if you do this again, it's mm. you as a person. It makes it about you, not them. It's, I can't go through that. I'm not okay with that. It was that. I had that exact conversation with her, actually, okay. and almost those exact So you were words. putting boundaries in a place that you yeah. just didn't know to an extreme. It's just that you didn't stick true to your boundary. Exactly. So Because there's definitely a difference between having a boundary and sticking Yeah, and this whole boundary. story gets so much fucking worse. Um, so, you know, she ends up talking to him again, of course, you know, she went back to him again. Um, and I, you know, did the thing where an untrusting boyfriend does is I went through her phone. She went and got in the shower one day. I went through her phone. I found texts to him saying that she loved him. And <clears throat> this is a big thing I think a lot of relationships go through is the fucking phone. Going through my phone, touching my fucking phone. So... For one, I'm a firm, firm, firm believer. If you're in a relationship with somebody, my phone's your phone, your phone's my phone. I mean, to an extent, like, 
you also give as committing to somebody, you give up privacy, right? Yeah. Because there's because to an there's extent. A, well, to an extent, as I'm saying, you do give up privacy to a definitely an extent, but also, what is it if I'm not hiding anything from you? What does it matter if you see what I'm looking at or what I have? And if you're not yeah. hiding anything from me, what does it matter? And if you're fully committed to somebody and you have an a developed, grown up, built on the right things relationship, there doesn't need to be privacy. Yes, there's some sort of privacy, but the majority of privacy doesn't need to be there because you don't. It doesn't no. because you don't. You're okay with them knowing those things. You're okay with them knowing you. You're okay yeah. with them knowing. So you don't have a wall because you've opened up and you you're one. Yeah, you become and one. That's my current relationship. Is and I love that for you. Yeah, we don't. Like yes, if I wanted to, I could go through her phone. Yeah. But I trust her enough that I don't feel like I need to. Yeah. Why would you? There's no reason for me to, and she does the same thing with exactly. me. Exactly. You know, I, there's there's trust, exactly. and that is the biggest thing with relationships. You have to have trust. And it's not the fact that us having trust is you handing me your phone and I get to go through it because you should. There shouldn't be anything. It's you shouldn't even feel the need to have to look at the phone. Exactly. In my and in my marriage. Uh, me and Ashley, I mean, Ashley had a known past of cheating. She was engaged twice before me, two failed mm-hmm. engagements, never was married. The first engagement failed because she cheated on her first fiance with the guy she ended up being engaged to with the girl's dad. The second engagement. Mm-hmm. She cheated on the girl's dad with three separate men. She, had been, she hadn't been faithful. And me, my, the girl of my dreams, and I thought I'd spent forever with from high school, cheated on me. And I ended up finding, the only reason I found it was because one night me and my buddy were drinking, my phone dies, I asked him, hey, can I, my best friend, can I use your phone quick to message Anna and let her know I'm okay? He's so fucked up past, I was like, yeah, and I go to text her and I realize there's 300 and some messages in his phone between him and her. And I found all the messages. Oh, so... Da, 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 that, that was so not impactful at the time. It was very impactful, but so, such little, little Compared what I know later. Now. Yeah, little what I know at that time. It was so depressing and impactful. And now I'm like, oh my god, going through that was like nothing. Yeah. And at the time, I thought it was the worst thing in the world, and life was coming to an end. But when so I was terrified of being cheated on. I was pretty much single for seven years. I built my career, I did all that. I, I was pretty much single for seven years. I dated a girl, Monica, for right before my wife. So for six years, single. Right before my wife, I dated a girl for about 10 months. Wasn't my cup of tea, wasn't her cup of tea. Called it off. And then I met, I mean, Ashley worked for me at Dave Wright. We got together. And here I am going into this relationship. And I think a big reason I was single for those six years was because I was terrified to trust you. Yeah. I was terrified I of that. being cheated on and giving myself to someone. I knew what people were capable of doing to someone. Mm-hmm. And so here I am as a person that's terrified to be cheated on. We get together. Right away, first week of our relationship, she openly tells me. I cheated on my first fiance. I cheated on the girl's dad with three men. Where's the red flag? It's got to be around here somewhere. She's being open with me saying that's who I was. Yeah, but It wasn't still. like, oh, I've always been faithful, and then I find out she cheated. You're right. There should have been a flag. Yeah. But at that time, too, you also have respect for the fact of... She's owning up to it. She owned up to it, and she's telling me in the first week of a relationship, when you're trying to look the best you can look to somebody, 
-hmm. She's willing to say, hey, I did this, but I've learned from it. I'm a different person. So here I go into this relationship, right? And I tear this guy who's been terrified of being cheated on for on and on and on. on. And I never one time, never one time in the first, I don't know, four years of our relationship up until right before it ended, had the desire or felt the need to look at her phone. Never once. Knowing she was a cheater in the past. Knowing she had cheated on people she was engaged to. When we were engaged and feel that way. When we were together, I never one time had the feeling people used to think I was crazy for, well, if she's done that, when you think she'd cheat on you? My mom used to even say, like, how are you so confident that she's not talking to someone? Or she, mom, because I knew Ashley loved me. Yeah. And I did. And she truly, and we'll go, we're going to, this is going to be our full circle here. Mm-hmm. But I knew she loved me. I knew, yes, we had that plenty of bad times at that point, or depression, anxiety, and plenty of shitty nights, but I knew at the end of the day, I was who she wanted to be with. Yeah. When she had cheated in the past, it was she didn't want to be with those people. She wasn't happy with them. She didn't know how to end it, but also there probably was some other game. Like, she was with the girls' dad, and they had the girls together. Mm-hmm. So it was easier to cheat and not end the relationship and go through that. She kept her family together for the girls, plus... He had was definitely the breadwinner and was supporting their nice house and their things that she had given up that she couldn't afford it on her own. There was things that she stayed for those reasons. For me, I didn't feel that way. She stayed because she wanted to. Yeah. And I never felt like she had she felt the need to have to talk to somebody else. And though she did because she wasn't happy. Yeah. And then when the relationship started to come to an end, I did feel the need to look into her phone, but it wasn't for cheating purposes. It was the fact that she was having conversations with people about being deceptive with me of the divorce, being deceptive with me about going for full custody but telling me she wanted shared, deceptive yeah. about things like that that I found in her phone. And the only reason I found was because one night, this is how our relationship was, is my phone was dead. We were going to meet my buddy for dinner on my birthday. We are going to my birthday dinner. My buddy's going to meet us. The phone dies. Well, the bar we were, the restaurant we planned on meeting at, me and her got there first. So busy, we never got to see. So we chose, we're going to go here instead. So I go to call mm-hmm. him to tell him we're switching places. And I'm not shitting you. I went, because my phone's dead, just like our whole relationship, to grab her phone to just call him on it. Mm-hmm. Like, just like if she, hers dead, she'd just grab mine. That's how yeah. I mean, our whole relationship was like that. We never once didn't pick someone's phone up, like, hey, my, hey, your dad's calling you, okay, pick it up, grab my phone, like, whatever. Yeah. So I just grab her phone, and I go to go call Cody, and she's like, the fuck are you doing? Get off my, why do you have my phone? And she's, like, trying to get her phone from me, and I was like, what the fuck? First time <laughs> in five years that's happened, there's a reason, right? Yeah. So, we get in this argument over it, and I was like, and I, at this point, I put her phone in my pocket. I'm not looking through it. Putting my phone in her pocket, watching her freak the fuck out. So obviously there's something in his phone. And because I won't give her phone back, and I'm testing it to this point. Like I said, I could have just grabbed it, opened it, and, read, and went through it. I shouldn't have done that if I wanted to. At this point, I didn't want to. I'm watching this happen, knowing that I'm learning what I need to learn anyways by the reaction that's happening. Yeah. I don't even need to read, nor do I probably even want to, because this is my answer on, we're trying to work through something that, this is after everything that had already happened anyways. Yeah. So... She, because she's so mad, turns around and doesn't go to the restaurant. She goes to my house. And at this point, I had actually moved out of my our house 
and was living in my own house. And we more or less, when we rented that house, it was so I could stay there on the nights we weren't getting along, and maybe take the separation we needed to fix things. Yeah. We pull up to my house, literally go in, and she's freaking out so bad. I take off, I open the door, I take off running to the house, and I lock myself in the bathroom. It's like, I'm up here, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. I, at this point, I need to know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Because I need to make a decision on if this continues forward or not. <clears throat> and I didn't even intend on going to dinner together. She begged me. She wanted to have this birthday dinner together. And she wanted for my birthday, for me, her, and Caden, and Caden to see us have dinner together. She wanted to talk about us working it out, and then we had these plans, whatever. And this isn't even the fucked up part. She kicks the bathroom door open. It beats the shit out of me. Pins me in the bathtub, and I can't get out. It's a narrow bathroom. It just keeps slugging my, slugging me, trying to get this phone. And I'm not shitting you. Big 250-pound freaking brand turns into a fucking ninja. <laughs> I jumped from that tub to the top of the toilet to the sink and around her and out the door and took off this phone. And I run out of the house, and I'm running to the front of the house so I can just keep... I found it now. It's conversations between her and her ex-fiance about what she's going to do to take Katie from me yeah. and da-da-da-da. And I, so I want to know what the hell's going on. Like, I need to know from what I'm up against, start evenings. And as I run out of my house and run around the corner, I catch out of the corner of my eye, there's a car that just parked in front of my house and there's a guy getting out of the car, walking around the car. He's got paperwork in his hand. And I already know. Dude, I'm like, you know me, I'm like such a forward thinker, mm-hmm. instinctly. I knew that guy was serving me divorce paperwork. Didn't even have to, didn't even, mm. my, something I had to think about. I knew what this guy, who he was, yeah. and what was in his hand. I was being served for divorce paperwork, or for divorce, which I had asked for anyways at this point, but we chose to held off on until. And as I'm, I'm so fucked up. So here. the guy's walking literally <laughs> to my front door, and I'm walking on the side of my house, and I, right in front of him, and I wish I could find it and have the fucking doorbell camera footage of it. He's coming up to the door. I'm coming down the side. We're both literally like crossing each other's paths in my front yard. He's there to serve me for divorce. And I said, hey, how are you, sir? And he's like, good, how are you? And I just keep walking. And the guy keeps going towards my front door. He's looking for me and I'm, we're literally You're both on my property and he doesn't even like process the, that's, that's the you. guy. And so I just keep walking and I'm like, fucker. Like, Good luck finding me tomorrow. I'm gonna go hide now. Yeah. Like I know what you're trying to do. Like for the next week, I'm gonna go stay somewhere new and keep coming back. Well, uh. I make it like probably 30, 40 feet, and actually comes running out the front door of my house, screaming at the guy. That's him. That's him. That's him. Knew who he was. She intentionally talked me into going to this birthday dinner together to have me serve for divorce, divorce on my birthday. Dude. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it was, but literally, I wish I could, I will, find, I will see if I can find this video, it was, hey sir, how are you? Good, how are you? Like, you <laughs> fucking dumbass, like, oh boy, and yeah, so she comes running out, holding the gate, and that's him, that's him, so then I just turned around, I looked at the guy, and I was like, well, it's gonna happen anyways, so let me sign him, he goes, how do you know what I have, I said, I'm not as dumb as you are, clearly, like, <laughs> So yeah, that's my story of being served for divorce on my birthday. But um, anyways, these boundaries. So I keep interrupting your story, but so obviously this relationship, and we're going to try to keep moving here quick and get to the ending of this, was very traumatic, and then the cheating and the 
not cheating more or less. I mean, I guess. I yeah, guess. I mean, and, I, and she and I, I, I believe that she was going this much behind your back to be around this guy. Cold heart of the truth is, that probably was physical whether she said so. Probably, but and I think you probably don't want to admit that to your own self. So you built that story of it, yeah. physical didn't happen. It's the first thing you said to me when we got on this so this subject tonight was she never physically did anything with him. She was talking to him and seeing him behind my back, but she never did physical. Reality she is. Probably Reality probably is. Did. If she was going that, she That's was fair. literally putting in that much effort to go behind your back. What, what else was That's there? Fair. What else was the benefit for them? Well, to just I sit mean, down part and of that, have a picnic together? Like, I mean, part of that is that when we went back to Tipton, I mean, we were both at Iowa State the whole time. When we went back to Tipton, we generally went back together. And so, you know, I pretty much had taps on her. And the thing is, there was multiple times throughout us going back to Tipton where I would get, you know, texts from her at night. My anxiety was so fucking terrible that, you know, she would stop texting me and I think she fucking killed herself. And so I'd go drive into her house doing 100 mile an hour to her house and knock on her parents' door at 1am. And they're like, no, she's fucking asleep. And then, you know, I'd go up and check on her and I'd spend the rest of the night at their house. And you look like the crazy one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why are you being this controlling? No, I'm not being controlling. She's been um, putting you through a whirlwind of emotions and also not giving you any support, sort of, uh, I would say, normalcy either like you now have the right to probably have some of these concerns mm -hmm. but well, she's probably not fully open about what she's saying to you and what's going on in her life so no. you look like you're just showing up frantically like this for because you're crazy yeah and the thing the crazy i mean crazy part about this is this isn't even the bad part of the story okay i'm gonna let uh -huh. you like talk we're gonna spit it out we're gonna just I'm not gonna spit it out you. so I'll sealed um so what ended up happening is um, where things started to go bad is she decided, I don't remember exactly how it was decided, but she went back to Tipton when we couldn't bike herself. And I stayed at Iowa State, and at this time she was out of the dorm with her roommate, and she got in her own personal dorm, um, and she was staying, you know, it was technically just her, but it was both of us. Um, and I stayed, and I got into this depression. And this was my first and only experience with self-harm is I had the Zippo lighter and I went and went into the med kit in the bathroom and found a, uh, a needle and I was lighting it and burning it until it was red hot and then putting it on my skin just to feel something. And I felt nothing. I watched my skin bubble around this fucking needle and I didn't feel anything. I was so depressed and so bad off that I couldn't even feel physical. pain. I couldn't feel physical wow. pain. I've still got the scars. Which arm is it? Somewhere. That one. You can see them up high there. They're there. Yeah. I can see them, folks. So that's, I that's mean, crazy to me. That's a whole different level of... Yeah. And I was so depressed and so bad off. And I was. it was so bad that I didn't even feel physical pain. And I, I mean, when I say I was glowing this to red hot, I mean, it was red hot. And uh, so I, I stuck it on my skin six times, and uh, you know, I at one point I was going down the elevator, and there was a bunch of old people in the elevator. I had all these band-aids on my arm, and one of the old ladies was like, "Oh, what'd you do to your arm?" And I tried to play it off like it was a grill, like I burned myself on the grill, like something came up, but it sounded like I said, "Oh, it was a girl," and her eyes got so wide, and the whole oh, elevator went silent. I mean, it was a girl. It did end up coming from a girl. Oh. I mean, the whole thing was. But 
<laughs> it was just, it was bad. So I went through that self-harm thing and that was the only night that I ever had self-harm. Um, I, I haven't done it since. It was, you know, kind of a one-off thing. Um, but really what it was is I just wanted to feel something. Yeah. And I, no, I, I still I couldn't. even get that. And <sighs> is that the end? Can I talk yet or not? No, I, I still got more. It I, gets I worse. I really have something to say on self-harm to remind me. Go ahead. Okay. Can go ahead. All right. So I'm going to get this story out. Yeah. So fast forward a while, I got to the point where um, I was getting so depressed that I was actually going into this like half comatose state where I was just curling up in the fetal position and crying and I couldn't move and I couldn't talk. And so I, you're having like actual anxiety attacks. Uh, anxiety attacks to the point that... You know, it sounds crazy that he's in the fetal position crying and may judge that moment, but that's a legit, what's an anxiety attack. Like yeah. Your body shuts down and anxiety takes over. I've had them. And I know that. And that's why I know that. Is I would go into profuse crying and like body just... I mean, it's, it's, I, yeah. It takes so, over. So I was going... I mean, I was having these and I was... I was having friends come to the dorm room to, you know, check on me and try mm -hmm. to get me out of these states. Um, and still one of them, friend to this day, um, he's actually a missionary, he goes overseas and does all kinds of stuff, but um, he was one of the only people who could actually come and get me out of these states. And so one day I'm back at home in Tipton. I, I don't know if I got dropped out of Iowa State at this point or not, but I wasn't even going to classes. I mean, I was just wasting my time at Iowa State, wasting time and money. And um, I ended up getting into an argument with my parents. And my relationship through all this with my parents was in the absolute shitter. I had to do a lot of work to get that prepared. Um, but one of these anxiety attacks where I just couldn't move, couldn't talk, whatever, ended up happening in front of my parents. And then they had seen the self-harm thing. I accidentally walked downstairs with my shirt off and they saw the, you know, the scars and they were like, what the fuck is that? And you know, it was at this point that they went, something is horribly wrong with our son yeah and we need to do something about it and they're seeing the extent of they saw just how bad it was like they knew it was bad but they didn't know it was this bad yeah and um so my mom actually just said screw it we're taking you in we're taking you to the hospital and they took me to the university of iowa and went to the emergency room and basically we're like he needs to be checked in like he yeah. needs to be in the yeah. psych ward. Yeah. And it's not a psych ward. It's a mental health hospital. Mental health hospital. Yeah. I call it the psych ward. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, easy, no, but, no, no. Yeah. And for um, it can be, but that's truly at the end of the day, like that. There's this stipulation of psych ward, like it's for crazy people. No, yeah. It's for mental health. It's, it's for mental, mental health. health yeah. And, and <clears throat> I've always had that mentality of for crazy people. So I had never had anxiety and depression to the extent mm -hmm. that you're talking. I know exactly what you're talking about. I when I was going down the stairs, the stairs having an anxiety attack from my wife, and I literally lost all bodily function. Went face first down eight stairs and through a wall, through the drywall. Jesus. And laying on the floor, knocked out cold. Um, so it literally overtakes you to the point. Of the it totally does. Yeah. You can't. You yep. can't do anything. Yep. So, um, so this happens. They take me to the hospital. I was so bad off, and then um, the University of Iowa apparently they have a they have a really 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 good psychiatric program. Yeah, and so usually it's like you're waiting like a week to get a bed. To get a bed. So mm -hmm. you're spending 
a week alone in the emergency room yeah. in a wait, hey, don't, wait, hey, don't kill yourself kind of way. I've never been in that situation, but I know. Yes. I know of people, and I won't go into details of that. I've been through that. I've been waiting for beds. And, and honestly, it's because they were actually uh, forcefully, because more two people had signed in committal paperwork. Yeah. But they wait, same thing, they had to wait in the emergency room to get in a bed. So, well, sorry, go ahead. I, I signed the paperwork myself to be like, yes, I'm yeah. reluctantly, but, you know, I'm willing to check myself in. And, of course, once you sign that paperwork, it's game over. They're taking you no matter what. Oh, yeah. So, you lost your rights. Yeah, exactly. Once you sign that paperwork, there's nothing you can do. So I signed the paperwork, and I was probably only sitting in that emergency room for three, four hours before some nurse comes down and goes, "Hey, I can't believe this is happening, but a bed just opened up." I mean, they were—I was in like that, just out of the blue, and they—they they had told me before, and they're like, "You could be here for a week before we can even get you in there." Yeah, and it just, it opened up, like, basically immediately compared to what other people have had to go through. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, my parents go with me, take me up there. I had packed a bag. And, uh, you know, I remember them having to leave me. And I was, I'm 19 years old. I'm supposed to be a man at this point. Yeah. And I am bawling my eyes out. And there, there was a nurse, bless her. Um, she had like green hair or something, but she was really cool and she was so sweet yeah. and so nice. And she's like, yeah, people with green hair typically aren't cool. But yeah, I mean, she had green she hair, was, but she was pretty cool. Yeah, but no, it was she was awesome. And she's like, I'm sorry, but I go on vacation tomorrow because I like I stuck to her like Lou. She knew and that you maybe were hurt in the connection that you needed at the time, and she felt bad because she because she was going on vacation the next day. Yeah, I wasn't she's seen enough people that knew that when those people make that connection, it's been, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, had that door closes, they, you know, they go through all your stuff, you go through the process to get into the, the psychiatric unit. Yeah. And, you know, I'm bawling the whole time and I didn't get into the room until like midnight or 1 a.m. or something, but um, I remember I went in and my roommate, because they gave you roommates, my roommate was snoring. And that first night was completely sleepless, not only because of his snoring, but because of everything I was going through. <laughs> and so and for the first ten nights of treatment. Yeah, so um, I ended up being in the psychiatric unit for a week. Mm -hmm. And with the university, they allow visiting hours for eight hours a day. So that's I a, had That's a big window. Yeah, I had my family with me. Yep. And... One of the big traumatic experiences and, and kind of something that came between me and my brother is my parents called my brother and said, hey, Garrett's in the psychiatric unit. He's, you know, going through this really bad shit and he, he's really bad off. He was in Arizona at the time. Yeah. And he, they're like, you should probably come out here and see your brother. Yeah. And my brother told my parents, no, he's just looking for attention. Ouch. <laughs> there is... There's... There is a lot of people that feel that way and think that way when people are talk about anxiety and depression. I can tell you there's people for sure in my situation who say that about me. He's looking for uh, sympathy or attention or whatever. But, yeah. they, but those people have never been to that level. Yeah. 
they've never been even halfway to that level. Because even if they had been halfway, they would understand. And they get it. And you can't blame those people. And you wanted to, and you did. I still do. But, if he's never been there, he doesn't understand what it's like to be there. How does he know how you feel? But there is a lot of people that do look for attention off of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But as a person that, and I, I'll tell you, there's a person, as a person that's never been through it, da 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 it's very easy to not understand it and to think it's not even possible unless the person's making it up. But you can't blame him because if his fault is based off of he's never experienced it. He's never been close enough to that experience to understand. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I hope you can find time and find some forgiveness for your brother, and I hope that happens. Because we were talking about suicide. And I said, did it build a spite of he's selfish to build an anger towards it, or did it make give you more sympathy towards it? Mm-hmm. Only ask that because my brother died of cancer at 17 years old and didn't have a fucking choice. No yeah. matter what he did, tomorrow wasn't going to be a thing the day before, right? Yeah. No matter what happened, he didn't get to live his life. He didn't choose that. He didn't get. To, he didn't choose to never get married. He didn't choose to not go to college. He didn't choose to never have children. And people that kill themselves. I would, I don't know why. Fucking selfish bastards. Fucking selfish. Because my brother didn't get a choice and he had a fucking choice, right? Yeah. This is my mentality for a long time. Until one of my best friends attempted to kill himself on up in the psych ward. Mental health hospital. He was in mercy. And I lived with him at the time. Came home from work, couldn't find him. He should have been home, couldn't find him. We were actually supposed to go to his sister's college graduation that night together, me and him. And I was like, there's no way he wouldn't be here to go. There's yeah. no way he would miss this. There was no, couldn't figure out where he was, where he was. Nobody's answering me. Have you seen Ethan? No, no one will answer. Come to find out, he came home, tried to kill himself before I got home from work. Went to do it. I said, wait, call this psychiatrist. I said, can you see me right now? She was down the street. Literally, we lived three blocks from here, and she was down by the fountains. Yeah. He took off, went there, sat down with her. She had him taken over and admitted. Yeah. And from that moment, my best friend, who I'd lived with for years, was so happy with a dude, but I knew he had a lot of internal struggles. His dad died when he was in the womb. His was killed in a construction accident. His stepdad that raised him loved the guy to death. He loved him. But he got Parkinson's. It fucked with him. He became emotionally abusive. I know what that is. My dad's got Parkinson's. Really? Yeah. And he wound up and tried to kill himself. And I was going up and seeing him in the unit. And my perspective changed that day of somebody I loved, somebody I knew that wasn't choosing that. I saw the reality of it. My mentality was they're choosing that Derek and never choice. Ethan wasn't choosing that. No, there is. It's not a choice. You're driven to yeah. it. And that's um, my point of I had never experienced a situation that hit me close enough and impacted me enough to make me see the other side. That's fair. My mentality was they're selfish, they're fucking asshole. And I even at this point, literally, a year before this, just lost a friend to suicide and still had that mentality. Yeah. Just wasn't a friend that's, that was 
as deep as what Ethan was. It didn't hit. Yeah. It was impactful. And then my whole perspective changed. That's that's fair. I get where you're coming from. And honestly, that does put a little bit of a different, you know, view on what my brother might have been you're thinking. You said he's time. not seeing your side. You said he's not addressing your side. Yeah. What are you addressing his? Yeah, that's true. That's totally true. And that's totally fair. Person, and by being the person I know you are, you're going to now have open eyes to maybe you being the starter to you're one hundred percent right. Relationship, yeah. That you maybe ten minutes ago had zero mentality of he needs to be the one to come to me and say sorry and fix this. You're the bigger man. You've been That's... through more, but now you've been through enough that you can see other sides of people's, and he's just blind to it. He hasn't had enough emotional That's... effect and maybe gone through the things you have to get there, and maybe you can help him get there. But does he have to get there for you guys to fix that? No. That that's can that's be a good forgiven. point. Yeah, that's a good point. Know that life will probably put him in a place at some point, because it's what life does, where he may have a traumatic experience. That causes. That causes yeah. him to have a little bit more of an open eye. I have an older brother that he's very close-minded. He's very successful. He's very. He's one who's the president of a railroad. Mm -hmm. It's one way. With him, it's one way or another. And then he, his dad got remarried. And he had a stepsister, half sister that died at 15 years old of cancer. Mm -hmm. And his mind opened up to so many things because he now became a person that was depressed and drinking too much because of depression and all that. But before, that was just fuck people making bad fucking choices because they're yeah. idiots and they can't deal with their emotions, right? Yeah. And then he was doing that. So, yeah. uh, anyways, well, we're going to push through this. You go and so get uh, yeah, yeah. Did you get out? So, you spent the week, you got out. So, I spent the week. Um, and within that week is when they had a psychiatrist come in and he diagnosed me with bipolar. Okay. So that's when I get diagnosed. Yep. You know, they put me on the meds that I'm on now. Which I now gives you hope because you know this is where there's an answer to maybe you question for so long of what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me. Now I know. Now you know. And yeah. It can be addressed now that you know. So, and this is kind of the start of my uphill climb, but it gets worse so much faster. So. I had dropped out, I dropped out of Iowa State after this happened um, because obviously with everything I was going through and as you know shit grades I had there was no way that I was ever going to be able to go back I'd given up on, on Iowa State it wasn't going to happen so I went back to work I went back to the same place I was working at before I'd gone off to Iowa State they gladly accepted me back I was still going through all this shit I was back at work for two weeks and it was a Friday. And um, I was supposed to go up to Iowa State that weekend. Don't, shut this door so You're fine. Stops. I was supposed to go up to Iowa State that night to be able to go see Tess and spend the weekend with her. And in the middle of the day, I get a text from her saying that she was really bad off, that she was, you know, having all these suicidal thoughts and things like that. And I told her, I'm like, hey, just push through. You got like six more hours. I'm going to be there. And everything's going to be okay. And then I get the goodbye text. Then I get the text that says, I can't do this anymore, and I'm, you know, so depressed, and all those things. Goodbye. And then I couldn't get a hold of her. I wasn't getting text back. She wasn't answering my calls. I, her mom actually called me, I think, and said, hey, did you get one of these? Because everybody else in the family did. And I took off. I went to my boss. I said, I think my girlfriend just killed herself, and I got to go. 
So I take off for Iowa State. And I was doing, I called 911. They're like, yep, her mom already called. We've got, a, you know, an officer on the way. Well, she had our pit bull in the room with her. And the pit bull was protecting her from the police officer. So now they got to spend more time. And they went in and they found her and she was unresponsive. She was laying in her bed. The dog was over top of her, protecting her. They had to call animal control to come get the dog out first. I had a two-hour drive to get there. So they come take the dog. They're able to get to her. They get her out and get her to the hospital. On my way up, I ended up, her mom left before I did. And like halfway there, I'm suddenly behind her mom. And I was doing like damn near 100 miles an hour because I'm fucked yeah. up. Yeah. And her mom is doing the speed limit. And I was like, how can you be doing the speed limit at a time like this? Your daughter may have just killed herself. What the fuck? But at the same time, I'm kind of going like, I can't beat her mom to, you know, I can't beat her mom there. Like, that's disrespectful. Uh, so, isn't it, is it weird your thoughts? Like, because now you're probably like, should have just kept going. No. But your thoughts at the time? At the time, I, I, no, honestly, I, I probably wouldn't have done anything Really? Different. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have done anything different. So I stayed behind her mom. We show up to Iowa State. We're like, hey, this happened. What's going on? They're like, oh, yeah, they already took her. So we go over to the hospital. And she's unresponsive. Like, they, she hasn't been responsive. We found out she swallowed an entire bottle of my pills. They weren't even hers. It was a bottle of my pills. Which like, were they like benzos? I. It might have been actually. It might have been Cymbalta. Oh, okay. It might have been a leftover bottle of Cymbalta or something. Okay. Um. So, she'd swallowed this entire bottle of pills. We're at the hospital. We can't get her to come to. And the doctor comes in and says, hey, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to both of you. So she pulls us into the side room and closes the door and she goes, we did some blood work. She's pregnant. Oof. Oh boy. Yeah. So. And this is why I didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. So she's pregnant and she just swallowed an entire bottle of pills. And I had no doubts in my mind that it was my kid. And uh, I spent four days sleeping on the floor of an ICU hospital room waiting for her to come to because she was in a coma. And day four, she comes to and, you know, they ask us to step out so the doctor can come in and talk to her. And the doctor comes in and talks to her and she calls me back into the room first. She just wants me in the room. And suddenly, she's just woken up from a coma, and I'm getting my ass chewed because I found out she was pregnant before she found out she was pregnant. And somehow that was my fault. So she just came out of a coma after trying to kill herself. The first thing she does is resort to being mad at me because... But she lived. She lived. She did live. So she lived. However, to kind of fast forward things, you know, she ended up spending her time in the psychiatric unit there, which was so much worse. They had like half hour visiting hours or something. And it was so much worse. Also, I should add, when I was in the hospital, when I was in the psychiatric unit, she refused to come be with me. She refused to come visit me at all. And so she's there and it was it was terrible. I mean, when I talk psych ward, I mean, this thing, this place was like an asylum. White walls, like everything was just, you know, it, 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 when you think of what the inside of an asylum should look like, this was it. Well, unfortunately, in places like that are not 
they're poorly they're, funded. But yeah, and it's not conducive to helping mental health. Yeah. It makes it worse. So um, take somebody who's already mentally feeling like they're in a box and then put them in a concrete box. Yeah. So she goes through. She was there for I don't know. I don't even know how long she was there. She was in there for a while, and she drops out of Iowa State. Come back home. What are we going to do about this baby situation? Well, the doctors had already told us that even if the baby does survive, it's going to be fucked up. Because of the, because of the pills. The was exposed to. Yeah, you just swallowed an entire bottle of pills and you're pregnant. It, she was only a week into the pregnancy, but they're like, it doesn't matter. Like, you have just exposed this baby to all kinds of toxic chemicals. Yeah. Like, it, the, no matter what the happens. The development of that egg, yeah. It, it doesn't matter. You fucked up, right? So. Myself, her family, because I knew that, first off, we were not in a mental state to be able to take care of a child. Yeah. We were not in a financial state to take care of a child, for sure. Definitely and not in developmental, like, it just, it, maturity. Yeah. Exactly. It, we were 19 years old, yeah. you know? And so we begged and pleaded for her to go get an abortion, right? And eventually, after a few weeks of begging and pleading with her, she did. And they just gave her the, the pill to induce her it period. Was early and it was early enough that they were able to do it that way, so she didn't have to go in and get a procedure or anything. And that was pretty well the end of the relationship. I mean, that pretty much killed it. Yeah. Um, which is fair. I mean, when you get to that yeah. point, it, it it's yeah. going to kill it. So yeah. that pretty much killed There's it. There's way too much emotional the, strain for it to even be successful, probably. At that yeah. Point it, Especially, like I said, when you're relationship wasn't built on the right things to begin yeah so the relationship ended and a friend of mine invited me to start playing rugby and I was like all right screw it let's go play some rugby and through this whole time when I was like 13 actually I think I was I was like 13 my uncle he captains a um, fishing vessel up in Alaska okay and he's Apparently, it was jokingly when I was like 13. He's like, yeah, when you get old enough, come up to me with Alaska, make some money and whatever. Well, I took it to heart and I remembered it. And I, you know, had gotten to this point in my life. I was at my lowest of the low. You know, I had been diagnosed with bipolar, but I was trying to work my way back up. Yeah. And, you know, trying to recover from the relationship. And I was actually, because of the medications that I've been put on, they were working for me. I was getting better. And I, it was three months later and I called my uncle. I said... I want to go. And he goes, what? You're fucking crazy. I said, no, I, want, I need to go to Alaska. Mm -hmm. I need to come up there and be mm -hmm. on the ship. He goes, all right, well, first off, the last time I saw you, which was years prior to this, he's like, you were soft. You can't handle this. Yeah. You can't do it. And he tried so hard. We were on the phone for over an hour. And he, the whole time he's convincing, trying to convince me, do not do this. You can't do this. You are not going to be able to handle this. Yeah. And I said, no, I have to do this. And finally, he gave me the number for the office, and he said, okay, call them. If this is what you absolutely have to do, call them, and they'll get you set up. So I get set up. I ended up going up to Alaska. And, you know, they fly me up there, and, of course, I'm 19 years old. I'm nervous as hell. I have just gone through the darkest part of my yeah. life. I have just gone through hell, and suddenly I'm taking my crazy ass up to Alaska to go do the second most dangerous job in the world by death 
by deaths per go big or go home. Yeah, right? I mean it was literally the only the only job in the world that people die from more is logging. That's it. It is it is logging and then being a Bering Sea fisherman up in Alaska. So I went up to Alaska and everybody told me. And when I, well when my I got up there, my uncle didn't even say hi to me. He just said, Hey, don't fall off the boat because that water's six degrees and if you fall off we can't save you and you're gonna die. That was my hello. That's your welcome. Yeah, that was my welcome. I mean, that probably was very important to tell you right off the bat. Yeah. So, um, his defense. Yeah. Man. So everyone on the ship was telling me, if you can make it through the first two weeks, you can do it. Yep. You can finish your contract. And it is, it's a contract. You yeah. sign a contract, you have to be up there for that long. If you don't finish your contract, you're now paying for the flights, you're paying for the hotels, you're yeah. paying for the food, and you're out all kinds of fucking money. Yeah, okay, they put you on the YouTube. Yeah, so... I got to day 15 and I broke. I broke. I they they do this thing where it's all commission, right? It's you know how much fish goes for, yeah. it's how much money you make. Yeah. And so I got to day 15 and they do this thing called overtime. You're already working 16 hours a day. It's 16 hours a day, seven days a week, no sick days. If you're throwing up, you're throwing up on the floor and you're going back to work. Mm -hmm. There's water running across the floor, it's gonna wash it away anyway. So get the fuck out of the way. Exactly. So, you're there's there's no, you're not gonna work. If you're hurt, you're gonna work. You know, it is just that is the mentality up there. You don't get to take breaks, no matter how you're feeling, no matter what's going on. You don't get to take breaks. Yep. You work 16 hours. You take a break every four, and your break every four hours is only 15 minutes. And then you get half an hour in after eight hours to get a lunch, and then you're right back into work. And so. Day 15 comes along, we're out in the middle of the ocean, I have no contact with my family. We have Wi-Fi on the yeah, boat, yeah. but it's it's shitty Wi-Fi. Like, I'm, getting, yeah. I'm getting like a Facebook message to go through a day. Yeah. And that was the only thing I could get to go through was a Facebook message. And I ended up being late coming back to my break. And if you're late by even 30 seconds coming back from your break, you get overtime. Now you get to work another ha extra half an hour. You're not making any extra money doing it. You're working an extra half an hour. Technically, like, yeah. Exactly. So you're just working an extra half an hour, so now your 16-hour day turned into a 16-and-a-half-hour day. And as soon as they said, you've got overtime, I broke. It broke. And I started to cry. And this guy, I thank God for him, he, his name was Cisco. Um, he pulled me aside. He goes, don't let them see you cry. You can't let them see you cry, because if they see you cry, they will tear you apart. Mm -hmm. And he was able to settle me down, and I went up, and I went up. So we had the factory was down towards the bottom of the boat, and then there were some steps that lead up to deck level. And I went up there, and I don't know by what miracle I was able to get a Facebook call to go through. And I was able to call my parents. And I was broken. I was just like, I want to come home, and I'm done. And whatever, and they convinced me that I needed to stay. I needed to finish this, and I did. It was after that, so I. Created, so how long was it again? It was uh, uh, seventy-five days. So you, on day six. On day fifteen. Oh, sorry, fifteen. Oh, I said yeah. six. Fifteen. So you made sixty more days after your break. Yeah. So I broke, and I came up with this mantra or whatever you want to call it: one more fish. I was packing fish. Every single fish I packed, and of the millions of fish that I packed, every single one was one fish closer to home. 
And so on my gloves, every, you know, every pair of gloves that I had, I wrote one fish closer on the back of my gloves. So the whole time I'm packing, I'm looking at every one of them. I am one fish closer to home. And that is what got me through. And that was my aha moment because what I did was I changed my mindset. By that one fish closer, I changed my mindset to, no, I can do this. And I did do that. And I went from three months prior, being at my worst, being at my lowest. My girlfriend had just tried to kill herself. We had just lost a baby. It went from worse to worse to worse. And now I'm doing the second most dangerous job in the world and I did it. And then I went back the next year and I did it again. You went back another year. I went back the next year, I did it again. And on my way, the second time up on my way up there, I got to Anchorage. And first off, I start, I was with a new girl at this point on the second time up. And I was in New York visiting her family in New York. I spent 36 hours traveling from New York, upstate New York, to Anchorage, Alaska. Actually, no, they picked me up uh, basically up by Dutch Harbor, which is even farther than, than Anchorage. But 36 hours traveling, when I got to Anchorage, I got sick. I went in the bathroom and just shit myself. And I was sick for the first month. I mean, usually if I'm in the bathroom, I usually sit on the toilet and I don't shit myself. You made it that far. Well, I made it that You might as well use the uh, <laughs> things that you are in there. Yeah. For the, yeah. But anyway. I accommodated myself at the toilet. Yeah. So anyway, I was, my stomach was an absolute mess. And I, for the first month and a half of my second contract, I was sick. I was completely sick. And then I got this thing called the elephant fever. We catch the elephant soul. And sometimes people just get allergic from the bacteria that come off of them. Yeah. I had that allergic reaction. So not only am I sick, I am having elephant fever. I'm hacking up a lung the entire time. And I was just so bad off for the first month and a half. I got up there, I was sick, I was feeling terrible. I told my uncle on day one, like I didn't even start work yet. I said, I wanna go home. And he's like, well, here's your resignation paperwork, but you're gonna have to pay for all this shit. He goes, tell you what, give it a day. He goes, just give it a day. And as I'm walking down the stairs out of the wheelhouse, I hear him tearing up the resignation paperwork. <laughs> you had your chance, fucker. Yep, so um, I ended up working through all of that for a month and a half and the elephant fever continued. Um, and apparently it just keeps getting worse every time you go up and it turns into anaphylactic shock and you can die from it. Um, but I didn't go back up again. So I went through it all over again and I had a point when I was back up there the second time where I broke again. And I actually have a video of when I broke because I became what's called a freezer dog. So I was down in the freezer hold where it's negative 22 all the time. And each one of those cases is 75 pounds. I'm carrying 75 pounds of fish stacking them like nine feet high and doing a hundred at a time. And they, there's times that they would break six in a row and I'm down there for eight hours a day. And then I come back and I pack for eight more hours. And sometimes I'd have to cover a shift for somebody else who just wasn't physically capable to, capable to do it. So I'd be doing 12 or 16 hours down there. And I'm completely by myself. It's the most dangerous job on the ship because if you're in a storm and one of those stacks of cases yeah. come down, you're, yeah. dead. you're dead. You're dead. And I broke down in the freezer and I have a video on my phone of me breaking going, this isn't who I am anymore. This isn't me. <clears throat> we, uh, are you comfortable sharing that video? Uh, yeah, I, we'll, I would totally post that. We'll post that to uh, our Facebook page when Garrett gets that to me after we post the episodes so you guys can see that. Yeah, 
And so it, it's funny because I have other videos where, you know, I'm being crazy and my girlfriend now, she loves the video where I just kind of lost my marbles while I was down there because you're in solitary confinement, yeah. right? And so I went, this is where they keep me in the freezer. <laughs> and so I, you know, I did break again. I, you know, even though it, it was a year later. Yeah, they made it what you knew was possible. Yeah, and I, you know, I had... But made it those strides. Man. Yeah, I made those strides in the mindset, and I was able to go back and go one fish closer. Able to go back, and so I still like made it the first time, in, but to go back. Yeah, and I still broke. I still had a time where I broke, and but I was it, able to come out of it. And talk about you had emotionally been through so much in your life: the abuse as a child, physical, mental, now the loss of a child, a shitty relationship, dropping out of college, in a mental hospital. Dropped out of college twice, twice. actually. And now you're here, intentionally putting yourself through it. The first time you didn't know what you're up against. Mm-hmm. Did it. You put yourself through it a second time. Yep. That's inspiring. And I I think it's awesome. And it's almost like you tested yourself and you knew. Like I said, that'll break you as a man. And to be able to mm-hmm. break yourself as a man, finish, then go back knowing you're probably going to break yourself as a man again. The growth and the strength that comes from that has got to be unreal. Dude, I, who I am today and where I'm at and being able to do this and tell my story in front of however many people are going to watch this, whoever, hopefully this helps, I owe it to going to Alaska. I 100% owe it. I would not be where I am today. See that? I do see that. Straight, I mean, like. Straight up goosebumps. Hardcore goosebumps. <laughs> I Both, would, I mean, uh, holy shit. That's sh- a lot of goosebumps. I would not be where I am today if I hadn't gone up and tested myself. And I mean, it was three months later the first time. I, I was fresh out of the shit. And I went up and did it. And I could not be where I am today without doing that for myself. That was my aha moment, was the one fish closer. That was my aha moment. I can do this. I can get better. I can make it. And it was just this constant, I can. And that was my mindset change. And I have not left that mindset since. I am so happy I stopped you from telling you. (laughs) Was that just all that reaction and that just hit me? Just was all on camera. And you'll see it when you watch it. But that's inspiring. And I, I, yeah, at the very beginning of this, talked about who you were as a person and an employee and how good. I knew none of this. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any of that going into this. When guys, when I talked at the beginning about him and how who he was and how impressed I was, I knew none of this. No, and that's I why told you I anything. made you wait. Mm-hmm. I just had this feeling, I, and I'm not gonna lie. I knew there was a story. I talked to Dusty on the way outside and I told him we were doing this. And he, I said, yeah. He's, you know, he talked about he's got some trauma, but I don't know. And I explained to him that I stopped you, and I said, I'm not sure what his story is, but there's something. Mm-hmm. I know I didn't never could have imagined the fraction of what the story actually was and the depth that I went to. I'll tell you right now, out of the Get Real podcast, that today's good. That this is the story. Really, this is the story. This is there's so much growth, so much adversity, so much. So much, so much things people can relate to, but a true testimony of who you are, 
what it takes to be a man, but the effort and the willingness you went through and what you chose to do to get better, to even not even know at that point what you were, the half of what you probably sit here today, no. knowing what it was going to do for you and what you knew it was good for you. You knew it was bad. I knew I had to. You knew it was going to cause growth. I had growth. no idea that it was going to bring me to where I was. I knew that I had to do it, but I had no idea that it was going to have the impact that I that it did. Also, to kind of close the door on, yeah. on something. Yeah. So we talked at the beginning of the podcast of my trauma as a child with my dad. Yeah. Just a month, maybe two months ago, my dad called me. Now, my dad has Parkinson's. He knows yeah. that it's it's bad and it's going to eventually kill yeah. him. Yeah. So he's trying to make amends. He called me. He goes, hey, let's go fishing together. I want to talk. And my dad's Parkinson's has developed to the point that he doesn't remember the things he did to me. I was able to go through almost every scenario of the physical and mental abuse that he put me through. And he didn't try to argue it. He didn't try to do any of that. He did nothing but apologize. He did nothing but apologize and be like, I am so sorry that I did that to you. And after all these years, I'm actually rebuilding a relationship with my father. I wanted nothing to do with him. And because of that, we're able to build on that. And that's awesome. It's so cool. <clears throat> and it's, it's unfortunate that it's taken this to put him at that level of peace in life and that level of where he is now that's got him there to do so. And this is another, I mean, I'm just another piece, another part of why we do this. This story is awesome. I'm excited, I'm excited to share this. And I don't know how I'd love to get it out there. I'm going to go to an extreme to put this in front of as many people as I can. Um, times 10 of what I have any other story, even my own. And it's unfortunate because people have that opportunity to fix things, to change things, change who they are, to become more at peace, to not be angry, to... There's a good chance your dad went through things that maybe caused him to have the anger. Oh, absolutely. And your whole life you have that opportunity every day when you wake up to change it, change your mindset, and fix and heal and do those things. That things are, all things are healable. Mm -hmm. Look at how many families that somebody murdered their child and they can say, I've forgiven them. Which that, that blows me away. Yeah. It's so hard for me to imagine it, forgiving it, somebody who would do that. I, it's crazy. And it's not that they forgive the person for the person, they forgive the person for themselves. Mm -hmm. because they hold so much anger. And once they forgive, the anger goes away, and they don't live angry. Well, that's, and that's, what, that's what I've done with my dad, is I have lived yeah. angry for, I mean, essentially 20 years. And you're not doing it for your dad either. There's a piece inside of you that's found that you're releasing some anger, and that anger is going away, and you don't feel so... And that's, so that's actually been something that I've noticed and it's kind of been crazy to me is my mom for years has been telling me, you know, you need to let go, you need to forgive, you need to do all these things. And I kept telling her, I'm like, it doesn't affect me. Like, I've, I've accepted it is what it is and I've moved on. I had no idea that rebuilding this relationship with my dad was actually going to relieve something. Yes. I was, you know... Up you don't realize it. It's no, there. No, you don't. It's there. And I just... I had no idea because I felt like I was 
where I am now, honestly. I mean, I was, I had fixed things. Yeah. I had moved on. I had gotten to that other side. And whether he joined you there or not, that wasn't. No, it didn't matter. That's his. And it's you only. You found peace without that, if not. Yeah. And the thing is, is doing this had only made it better. And it made it better to an extent that I didn't even know existed. I thought I was good. And just having that little yeah. bit of closure, it moved me yeah. up to that next level. Yeah. It helped me grow again. And that's what forgiveness does. That's what we're... Because you're... You're removing anger. You're removing... If it's, if it's forgiving for sad things, things that make you angry, things that... Whatever emotion comes with it, forgiveness removes that. Because you hold it inside more than they do. It's affecting you more here than it is that, most mm -hmm. likely. When you can do that, it releases that, whatever it may be. Yeah. <clears throat> so we're going to wrap things up. Um, honestly, I think this story has been absolutely, truly inspiring. Um, I think we're, at this point, we've gone on so long, the video, I mean, this is going to be the longest podcast we've released, and definitely, as it should be, it's the best, the most impactful. Um, I think there's so much meat in this session. You anybody could take something from this. We covered so many different things. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's bizarre. We covered so much. I can't even I could start bullet listing now, but we'd add another hour yeah. to the things that were covered <laughs> just by giving you those bullet points. Um, I really appreciate Garrett being here. I really appreciate his story. I am mind blown. Like I said, I, I, I was inspired by who Garrett was from before, but this just it's just a whole different different level. Um, we definitely are gonna have Garrett back. The entire right now, this is not the last year you're gonna see Garrett. Hundred percent. There's a lot more thing. I mean, there's I just know there's more, but I also as me and Garrett build our friendship too. I think that there's things that we can bring to you guys um, to just hear and know exactly how much Garrett has to offer. It's no different than when Sam and I did mine, and Sam asked me to join him as a full-time with him doing this because of how much I had to offer to the podcast and the different outlooks we could bring. This is not the last time you'll see Garrett. Whether it's joining me with another guest, or if it's to get more from Garrett, or if it's just a blog on the Today's Good of me and Garrett going through things, because Garrett is definitely definitely a piece that could go on to the today's good and could benefit that too and Garrett's not 100% familiar with what we do there but um, he definitely fits that page too and fits our purpose on the today's good um, he just has too much to offer to not utilize this resource for our guest and for the people out there that need help um, like I said I'm just mind blown right now I don't even know how to keep going on this great story we couldn't appreciate you more bringing this to yeah. us buddy it's it it it's inspiring, and I want to thank you because through all of my years, I've always helped people, and I've always been somebody that people go to for advice like you do me. Yeah. Text messages like last night, you were having a rough week, and you went to me for help, mm -hmm. and not even help, just conversation. Yeah. And I used to do that daily for so many people. I've done it too. So many people. My employees, my friends, my so many people and I find so much joy in that so when I when I have it in me I respond because it brings me good right mm -hmm. and 
it's just another reminder to me because when I went through addiction and hit rock bottom and became this low of the low that I had nothing to offer to anybody, I have slowly built back to the even better person than who I was before and I've been able to offer that to people again. And it's so rewarding and it's nice to have people like Garrett tonight talk about how I helped him and today was so much better because I just that conversation we had to be able to know that I'm back to a place in my life that I have that to offer to people again and I have come to that point from where I was it's inspiring and it's nice because back before all of this I had so much to offer I helped and I helped and I did these things but now I can do it with so much more knowledge, so much more experience, and even more depth yeah. because of what I've been through. And I want you right now, if you guys feel Garrett and his story and things he's been through can help you in any way whatsoever, and you want to have a conversation with Garrett, reach out to me. I know he's more than happy Absolutely. to have a conversation, a phone call. Um, we could get together. Uh, whatever it is, if you think there's something, and there's something you want to ask Garrett, Garrett's not on social media. But if reach out to me, yep. and I'll get with Garrett. If he can do anything he can, he will help you. Absolutely. If comfortable re going out to him, reaching out to him instead of me, because he has something that would, he would understand better, whatever. Reach out to me, and I'll get you with him. Um, Garrett, again, thank you. Absolutely. Um, I'm inspired. I'm still, still, still have, still have goosebumps. goosebumps. <laughs> I don't know if they're going anywhere. I, I thank you. and. I do have a conversation I kept telling Garrett and on our break I said we're gonna go back full circle here and there's something I want to bring to this that I didn't tell you what it was and I said I'm not gonna tell you no I still have no idea we didn't get to it and we're not gonna get to it because that's gonna be on our next episode together and I truly think that we've covered enough we've blown enough minds at this point mine included and I can't I still can't I, believe that I you can't still take have any more goosebumps I want to bring that part of what I have in my head that I know we can bring to you guys in a subject that we can cover together that um, will be good, but I want to bring it on a different episode where you aren't trying to swallow what we all just had to swallow and what I still can't swallow. So we will be back. We definitely will bring him back on. We will announce that when we do. Um, we'll probably throw a couple podcasts in between. And we will bring him back. You will see him. And I will give you that heads up when we do. So, again, Garrett, I really appreciate you being here. And I have one last question. Okay. If there's one thing you want, and there's so many things that can be taken from this, but if there's one thing you feel people can learn and you want people to take from this, what would that be? The one thing, and it's something that I try to tell people on the regular who are going through things um, including my own girlfriend it gets better it may take years mine took years it started when I was like two years old the trauma technically started when that first spanking when I got hit so hard and it got worse you know there was there was more stuff that happened but it took years and here I am at 25 years old and you're not like 25 made, fucking years old and that man just gave us that story. And I'm here. I'm here to tell you, it does get better. Do not give up. And just like Brandon said, if you ever need to, you know, talk to somebody or you want to reach out to me or something like that, you can. 
do not be afraid. I will 100% make time. I, I work during the days. My nights and weekends are generally pretty free. So nights and weekends, you're most likely going to be able to get a hold of me. And people, this is what this is about right here. This is why Sam and I do this, is to bring this to you and to bring those resources to you. And Gary is a prime example of what we are about. And you just became a part of the Get Real family, man. I mean, you did. And you just became a part of the Get Real podcast. And, and not just on an episode level. You, you definitely have more to offer to us and you definitely have more to offer to our people than just this one episode. And we thank you for that. And I can't wait for you to meet Sam. And Sam's going to listen to this son of a bitch and he's going to be <laughs> so mad. So mad. Oh my God. And he's going to be mind blown. And what just happened without him here. And, and I'm, Sam, you, this was your podcast on your own. And here I am without you doing this. And we just had the best fucking episode <laughs> ever, buddy. Good luck topping that one. <laughs> we love you. We appreciate our guest. We appreciate everything. Um, and my one thing I'm going to take from this, and I'm going to give you from my takeaway, and that is mindset. We all choose a mindset. And if Garrett would have kept the depressed, negative mindset and never found that aha moment, so many things wouldn't have happened. But then he chose to have the mindset of the ship and going off to Alaska, and that was all mindset. And it's built you to this point today where your mindset is so much stronger and so much easier to find. And like I said, you talked past tense and didn't know it. Yeah. It's mindset, people. It's not always easy as to find. It's not going to be found the same way we found it. But we hope it can help you and anyone out there find your way there and find that path to a better mindset and your growth to get there. And then, like he said, it gets easier. The situation may not change. Like mine, every day, day after day after day at 400 and some days, it's not getting better. The situation isn't. My mindset's getting better. How I handle that is better. And I can tell you right now, from the day it started to right now, it affects me so much less mentally. Don't get me wrong, it still affects me big time, but I have found peace of growing with that and the time will do its course. So if you have any questions, or I say it again, reach out to me if you want to talk to Garrett. The man's a celebrity at this point. This story is awesome. And I appreciate on boundaries and Come back to you guys and go a little deeper. Actually, some mountain wrap things up. Come back to you. Guys. Let's just remember and take a break, and we'll be right back. Things up. Come back to you. Guys. Let's just. Hey everybody, it's uh, Brandon obviously again with the Get Real Podcast and um, I've never done this on an episode or felt even the need to do this on an episode. They just got done editing Garrett's podcast with us and Garrett's story really hit me in the face in many different ways. Um, Build some morale for myself, for kind of how he spoke to me and things that I've, I've done for him. Uh, him talking about how 
for the first how long we worked together, he never in a million years would have guessed what I was going through or that I even was going through anything. By the way, my mentality was at work and my happiness and my positivity. And that that was just, that was nice to hear because that's not always easy to do. And it's something I um, really work hard to do is to keep that, I wouldn't say constant, but as constant as possible mentality and positivity and especially with the people around me and bringing the people around me happiness no matter where I'm standing what's going on with my life but um that was big for me and but also I this story was just caught me off guard um talking to Gary in the past I guess in the episode I said I knew that he had gone through some trauma and I really did stop him and did not let him tell me what that trauma was before the episode because I wanted it to be on camera when I first heard that. And what I expected walking into that podcast and what I thought was going to come from it was maybe 10% of what did. The trauma level, the growth that had happened since the trauma, where he was due to where he is now and i never would have guessed that he had hit a low as low as he hit but to be where he is and to be doing what he's doing and um like i said i I, i've never on the back end put a blurb in or even thought it was necessary or even had the thought to do so but a little recap definitely is needed here and i think as you think about his story I really think that it is big to apply anything you can into your life. And it's so crazy to know the extremes he went through to grow and the level he was willing and the things he was willing to do to make himself grow. The thing, the Alaska going on the boat and, at that day 15, wanting to quit and making it to day 65. And I was mind blown when he told me that, that they wanted to quit that bad at 15 and he made it 50 more days. But then when he told me he went back the next year to do it all over, knowing the trauma, knowing how hard and enduring and testing that was to him. I mean, you did it once, you proved it, you proved your point, move on, buddy. But no, to go back and do it again, just it's just mind blowing to me. But as Garrett said about me, he would have never known I was going through what I was going through and that I am going through and I'm going through in our work environment, these things that um, he said. And it's vice versa. I would have never known Garrett came from where he had and that he he still has the struggles he does. And he can, you know, he's completely conquered those. And we all know that we may feel we have. We have bad days that things sneak up on us and things do come back around. Um, I, it happens to me constantly, but I would have never known, never would I have known that that kid had a story near to the level what he did. And I want to, again, thank Garrett for getting on the Gabriel podcast to not only share his story with me and with all of our guests, but to do that in hopes of helping people. We don't do this for attention. He didn't do it for attention. Um, definitely that's a mindset that can come is 
me and Sam get up here and talk, or I get up here and talk about my story and my situation to bring uh, attention to it or to plead aside. And that's not the case. At the end of the day, I don't care what way you side, what way you whatever or how much attention we get, as long as the attention we're getting is attention that's helping people. And you as our guests choose for that to be a thing or not. You choose to take something from it. You choose to let it be something that builds you up or gives you tools, gives you resources, and you choose for it to not. And it's not as easy for people to accept those things as some and as it is for me and Sam and definitely from what I learned last night for Garrett. But um, I really do want to thank, like I said, thank you, Garrett. Sam, I'm still very disappointed. You missed it. Um, I hope the podcast itself, as I go to post this through a computer or a phone screen, makes the impact it did in person. But I'm... It, it was it was inspiring. It was shocking. It was motivational. Um, I definitely sometimes get in that mindset where my situation sucks. It does suck. And it's not going away. And it's continuous. And it goes day after day after day after day. And Caden is my life. I live every day for him. I live every day to grow. I live every day to better our situation to do the things I'm doing for Caden. And it does suck because it goes nowhere. It hasn't gone anywhere. It, there's no traction. No matter how much money I spend, how much time I spend, how much energy I spend, it doesn't go anywhere. And that's really tiring. But the t- most tiring part of it all is every day to keep a positive mindset and to keep a the outlook of time will do its thing and time will do its justice if I just continue to do what I'm doing As we talked about, as you, as a person, create that mindset and you use it more and more and more, it becomes easier and easier and easier. Well, I've done this for so long. I've been sober 14 months with still so many things being taken from Caden and I. And to the point that he hasn't stayed the night at my house in a year. Actually, he's never stayed at the house I live in now and the house I have for us ever. And we haven't had a night together. I haven't got to put him to bed. I haven't got to wake up with him there. I haven't got to cuddle him to sleep in over a year. And I'm tired. This whole situation, getting up and having that positivity every day and have that outlook every day that I'm having, that time will do its thing and to just keep pushing forward and keep bettering and and all those things. I've done that for so long. I'm tired. But Garrett gave me back some energy and gave me back some inspiration last night. His story went on and on and on and on and thing after thing after thing after thing. And it eventually, like at the very end, he said, it gets better. And I've always told people that. And I've lost sight of that. Um, it just gave me a little more, it gave me a boost in energy. It gave me some mentality back that I've lost and it definitely took away some of the tiredness, I think. And just because it made me realize too, that I'm not the only one that goes through things. I'm not the only one going through things. And I've known that. And that's the point of the Get Real podcast is knowing people are going through things and we have something to offer. But 
I sometimes get caught in a pity party. Not because I want to, but because it's all I ever think about. The people that are around me a lot know how much I talk about it, and it probably gets annoying, and I'm sure it doesn't. It wouldn't if I was on the other end of it. But I don't mean to talk about it. I don't mean to for it to constantly be a thing. But also, talking about it gets me through it. And it gets the thoughts that are in my head out of my head. And when it controls my life to the extreme it does, and to, like I said, have no traction whatsoever, zero, nothing changing, it beats you down and you can't stop thinking about it. And like I said, I want to thank Garrett for being on the show and helping everybody and uh, that he could and to do that. But I want Garrett to know he helped me. The guy that is doing this podcast and then he looks up to and thinks that I am like, he looks up to me and my mentality and my abilities to do so and the skills and all of that and whatnot. But I wanted to know that he is in a place to help people 100% because he helped me. And that's the point of the Get Real podcast. It is why we do this, why we sometimes make fools of ourselves, why we let people think, oh, we're doing it for attention, let people judge us. We don't care because what it's meant to do, it's going to do. And Garrett getting on here last night to help you guys, me as the host, I ended up probably taking more from that podcast than 99% of what the people that will listen to that will. and. It's awesome. It, it's, it instantly did exactly what he wanted it to do without even a guest listening. Um, but also it just, it'll, it's nice because we have, we're, we're in so much contact every day. We work together every day and whatnot for Garrett to know that he's continuing for me to help me continue to have this mentality at work and to have that positivity is going to be nice, but it's rewarding for him. And I stress Sam and I don't need recognition. Sam and I don't need the messages of what you're doing is da 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 da. I mean, they're nice to hear. It's nice to know that we're making a difference. It's nice to know that getting up and doing this, taking the energy, taking the time, talking about things like super embarrassing things like being an addict in front of people is making a difference. But that's, we don't need that. We don't do this because we don't know that it possibly is doing that. But people like Garrett, they don't know. And I would really appreciate any messages um, sent to me. I can get to Garrett. Like I said, he doesn't have social media. Um, but anything you can send to me, anything that gets our way, comments on the posting, messages directly to Samurai, to the podcasting, uh, the Get Real podcast, to the Today's Good podcast or today's good podcast any messages anything you guys send that way any details what made a difference um thanking him whatever i highly stress that on this one because that was a lot that was a lot for that kid to share it was a lot for him to put out there but i truly don't know if he really understands how impactful and how inspiring that story is and I can tell you, he killed himself going through it. He 
the amount of energy and effort it took to get where he is now from where he came from, I can tell you it's, it wasn't easy because from a guy that does it every day and to have gone the highs and lows I have, I know that that energy is excruciating. And for it to go on as long as it did and thing after thing and thing after thing and thing after thing with him, he always kept the outlook. He may have had highs and lows on that having that outlook. But at the end of the day, he had the outlook when it was important and he developed off of that. And I want him to know. I want him to hear it and I want him to uh, truly have some internal warmth and internal um, satisfaction from what he did. Because, it, like I said, it's not easy. But he definitely had the right mindset of why he wanted to do it and what his purpose of doing it was. And it wasn't to share a story and for attention to Garrett. Not most 99% of you that follow this will never even meet Garrett because you're from Manchester. You're from Sam and I's hometown. You're um, people me and Sam have come in contact with. So that's not going to be the case for him. I just want something for him. And if, it, like I said, I'm asking if he made a difference, um, if any part of it made a difference whatsoever, or not even if it didn't make a difference, but thanking him for doing that or whatever it is, I'd love to get some messages together. I'd love to be able to show him truly what he did for people and what he did for me. So thank you, everybody. I said, Brandon again from the Get Real podcast. Uh, we Sam and I definitely need to get back on this a little more. So if you've got a story, you've got something you want to share, I'm hoping definitely hearing Garrett's can inspire more people to want to share theirs. Um, get a hold of us. Send a message to the Get Real podcast. Send a message to the Today's Good podcast Facebook pages. Uh, text Sam or I if you've got our numbers. If not, Facebook direct us. Facebook message us directly. Um, we need to get some people together and we want to get a schedule set up. So uh, we will be creating probably a website here shortly where you can schedule with us online and have our openings and block times and whatnot. And um, if we'll just keep that link private and the people that we feel that are candidates of that and the people we want to put on there, we'll share that link with you so you can go schedule your time. So reach out to us. Um, again, thank you, Garrett. Not only I, but the people that listen to this podcast appreciate you. And I really do think you're going to make a difference in not only my life, but many others from this story. And I'm going to do everything I can to put it in front of absolutely as many people as I can, because a story like that should touch many, many people and way beyond the amount of listeners we have and the level of people that our podcast touches. And I, like I said, I'm going to go to extremes and find ways and I'm going to put this in front of as many people as I can. So thank you, Garrett. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to the followers. Um, Garrett's story, like I said, if you've got anything for me, please send it my way. Thanks, everybody. You're not, what is, whatever experience you're having right now, it has not come to stay. It has come to pass. Not to stay, just to pass. It's just going through. The biggest challenge is, is to know what's happening. This is a part of this thing we call life. This too shall pass. And maintaining perspective, putting it in perspective. You have to be willing to break from the past to have the future you so desperately desire. You have to have the courage to allow yourself 
to honor the past as it was, to forgive those who need to be forgiven, to forgive yourself, and to acknowledge that everything led you to this point now. Everything. Let it go and begin to focus on developing myself. And I say to you, you're gonna have people to do things to you. Things are going to happen to you. And the most important thing to do is to harness your will and let it go and move so you can grow, so you can get on with your life. It doesn't matter about what happens to you. What matters is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do now, Les? But if you want to begin to move into your own personal greatness, if you want to begin to really enjoy a happy, successful, healthy life, you've got to be willing to go against the tide. You've got to be willing to harness your will. So as you're in the process of reinventing your life, write a description of the kind of person that you want to be. What are the things that you must overcome? What qualities about your personality you know that you're going to have to change because those particular characteristics are liabilities to you? What are your assets? What are your strong points? Look at and evaluating yourself to make that determination. Other thing is that in order to get out of a rut, we need some coaching. Find some trusted critics. People that you know care about you and love you. There's some things that keeps us from growing and getting out of ruts. Number one, we identify with feedback. We take it personal when someone wants to give us some feedback on where we are falling short and tell us about our blind spots. We want to have everything being positive about us. We're not perfect. It's, it hurts. I, I have a friend who's a trusted critic. I don't like him, but I love him. He doesn't tell me the things I want to hear. He tell me what I need to hear so I can grow. It hurts. It hurts when he put me on the hot seat. I can't stand it. But that's the only way that I can grow. And I'm glad that he loves me enough to risk our friendship to tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. High performers are not dissatisfied strivers. They're not. They're happy. High performers are happier than their peers. We all believe that to get the top, it's going to be lonely at the top, and we all believe you have to grind and kill yourself to get there. Yeah. And that's completely wrong, and yes. the data proves it worldwide, which is, I think, just overcoming a lot of people's biases about how you work today, because right now, especially today, like, you know, grind on social media is so popular. Or hustle. Or hustle. And it, it, by the way, none of the top 15% of high performers worldwide identify with those words. They literally don't. We asked them, we did a whole keyword analysis. Yep. This was actually pretty cool. And high performers explicitly say, these, these are the three driving feelings. If we said there was a...